of the CTS castle on Skull Mountain. <laughs> we'll go with, guys. Yeah. This is season three, episode 22. Bonus episode 22. Not just a regular episode. A bonus episode 22. And it it does mark the return of our good friend Matt after a short solstice uh, back, absence. What are we going to call it, Matt? raiding the hinterlands. Mm. How were the hinterlands, Matt? Did you, <laughs> they were lovely. Did you pillage? Lovely this time of year. We have okay, um good. yeah we have lots of bonus bonuses bon eyes is it bo bone eye what's bonus episodes <laughs> I yeah. I don't know what it is but bone eye is definitely not it so. <laughs> we do have lots of bonuses yes twenty two bone eye to be yeah. exact yep. rock hard bone eye so uh, so boning uh, in the boneyard yeah well tonight yeah perfect Apropos. well done. But um, we will check in with Matt here in a little bit to just get a brief uh, take on the four albums we covered last week. Yeah. I do want to start by saying uh, that you can check us out on anchor.fm backslash combing the stacks. Uh, and these days you can pretty much just search us on YouTube and find us just about everywhere. Um, podcasts can be found. Um, we are on YouTube by searching combing the stacks music podcast. And Josh, of course, has the letterboxed. 
account, and you can search for the Combing the Stacks name on Letterboxd as well to see all of the films uh, that tie into segments of ours. But Matt, um, instead of a check-in, let's have you go through the four albums last week and give some brief takes on what you thought. I need a rem- okay. So we did. What was the first? So the first one? one would be the Go Betweens. The Go Betweens was awesome. The okay. Go Betweens was. Um, I only listened. I think I only listened to these albums like once, really, and that was mm-hmm. a while ago. So my and that was Sixteen Lovers Lane. By the way, was the name of the yeah, album. Yeah, that was. Um, never heard of them. Never know any of the songs. And they kind of. I Dream Pop was something that kind of stood out to me as a descriptor. I don't know if you guys mentioned that. Maybe you did, but like I, you didn't listen that was to the episode, a, Matt. What's that? I did listen to the episode. I don't remember okay. if you mentioned mentioned the uh, if it was I, Dream Pop was something that kind of stood out to me. So I was I was I found it interesting that Josh liked it so much because I know Josh, it, like that was something that maybe you just don't like the Cocteau Twins. Maybe that's just what it is. It's maybe it's not Dream Pop in general, but yeah. um, but that was a very that was a that went down easy. That was a very um. That was a very good album, so I should I should listen to that more. But um, I did enjoy that. So big thumbs up, go betweens. Um, I will listen to then that. Then you again. got, then you got EPMD, Strictly Business. Holy crap! I never heard of those guys before, and I do agree. I think Josh said this that it was, and maybe you you quasi agreed, John, that this was that that was the best uh, rap slash hip hop album that we've covered so far. Yeah. I think that was an easy. That yeah, was another it was one. That, that, the Eric B. Rakim one for that, me. The, yeah. yeah, Eric B. and Rakim were good. I think. I think uh, I found the EPMD a little bit more consistent because there was a couple like the Eric B. and Rakim record. I, I'm not. I wasn't as too into the DJ only songs uh, mm-hmm. that, that were on that. But the EPMD never heard of those guys. I was like shocked that I was like, I, it, really? Like this would have been. You know, or any of the songs really. Like, I can't believe I didn't really wasn't aware. At least I'm. Not, I know I'm not a hip hop guy, but I I, yeah. I would have thought that I would have at least been aware of them. So, really good Never beats. Thought that really hip hop g- would take it that far, Matt. I think is what you're trying yeah. to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would agree that that was kind of like the second phase, right? That that's clearly. I think that's the that's the clearest delineation between the early hip hop that we covered and what was coming, mm-hmm. you know, later on, particularly in the the '90s, you know, early mid '90s uh, rap and gangster rap and stuff like that. Not so much about the message, but just about the production and and the beats and stuff. So yeah, I yeah. like that one a lot. A lot of samples there too. Some of the stuff I was able to pick up on, but that was that was great. Those are yeah, very much enjoyed that record as well. And then you've got uh, the Chameleon Strange Times. Um, I did like that record, and I gotta tell you, I I'm annoyed listening to records on YouTube. It's it sucks. <laughs> it's just a, it's such a it, it's just not a like a linear way of listening. It's got the ads in between. If I have it on my phone. I'm going to complain well, about this too tonight. To not have them because I'm I'm not cheap and I pay for YouTube <laughs> Premium, so it does make oh. a difference. Oh, but 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 it's like I have, if I have, if I'm playing one of those albums on my phone, like I I can't I can't switch to something else or I can't like right. a lot of times on my phone I'll I'll like put it in sleep mode and it'll still play the music, but if you do that with YouTube, it turns the music off, and then so I have to have the phone on in my pocket if I'm walking my dog or just out went out and about. And so then it like accidentally skips the track and it's just, I hate it. So it's, um, but, <laughs> I but just imagine Matt, like listening to his song and then it ends abruptly. And it's like, when you and the lady need to have a yeah. special night, like stuff like that, that's like, God damn it. Skip ad, but it's 30 yeah, seconds. I, yeah. It sucks. Two um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not as, it's not as I can't fully get into it as much as I can the other records, but the chameleons was really good. That's a band I would like to listen to more. Um, 
and I think I think that that album, even though I don't necessarily think that that's something that would grow that that's needed that's a grower because I liked it right away. But I think I would like it even more upon further listenings. Good like indie rock kind of stuff, very um, you know kind of interesting songs, and a, another band I had never heard of. So mm-hmm. um, I I did enjoy that one as well. And then yeah, finally we had Taylor Dane. Yeah, that was a lot of fun too. I, guys, I should miss more episodes, and so to give you guys oppor- opportunities to listen to great records because I really liked that one as well. I did listen. You did mention this, John. I did listen to the first record of hers because mm-hmm. I think you were supposed to cover that initially, and then you moved over to to this one. I. It's weird. I did know most of the singles. I think there was one of the four that I wasn't that familiar with. Uh, maybe the th- maybe the fourth one. Maybe the last one there, but. Um, I did know the songs. That's she's an artist that I know a lot of her songs, but I never knew the name Taylor Dane. Like it was just on the radio or whatever, and mm-hmm. I just remember hearing the songs. Very good, upbeat pop music, and um, she does have a great voice. I agree with you guys on that. Not typically my genre, my go-to genre, but man, that was a fun record. So I, I was thumbs up on that as well. Yeah, that's one you can listen to the car, uh, Matt. Um, that's mm-hmm. PG. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Car music. Yep. Yes. So yeah, they were all they were all very good. I thought. Yeah. Strong week last week. Well, we'll Well, see if this we'll see if this week holds up in consistency as much as last week does. Yeah, and I'm gonna have you run the albums here in a second, Josh. I do want to mention though that um, there is going to be the possibility of the sound of a uh, washing machine going behind this week. Unfortunately, there is a tight timetable for me with some tasks, uh, taping and stuff like that. So I will do the best to mitigate it. It won't be forever, but if you- You are nothing if not efficient, John. Whirring in the background, (laughs) that's what it is. I apologize for the audio files. (laughs) For the audio files that needed pristine, we are, that's why we are an amateur podcast. Oh, maybe, John, do you remember you were saying earlier that people were listening, oh, you know, this is a certain percentage of people listen to us on on an (laughs) Apple device, certain people on a Mac. Maybe the other there was the other category. Maybe those are the people that listen on that Toblerone looking thing. Do you remember or smart appliances? But do you remember like that Neil Young, that Neil Young thing that looks like the Toblerone? It's like the triangle, like uh, MP3 player or whatever. Oh yeah. Uh Uh, Maybe it's on. Maybe it's on the Toblerone. Maybe yeah. <laughs> an iPod. <laughs> like, that'll be a. I guess it says it does say iPhone, not Apple device. So I, right. I like the idea of somebody downloading it onto an iPod and listening to it. If you somebody are listening, listening outside your window, passenger pigeon. So yeah, but. Yes. Anyway, that's a little bit inside baseball right there uh, for those who are taking a look at like how people listen. And there's something like 18% of people don't listen on either a Mac, Windows, uh, an iPhone, or an Android. So we were trying to figure out like what those devices would be. And 18% seem to be a large number. Folks, so. Send us an email. Let us know your thoughts. How are you consuming your CTS podcast? <laughs> Illegally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <And> it's free. <laughs> I love that. like I want somebody to illegally consume our free podcast is my favorite thing. Like you'd have to go through so many steps to to not get this for free. Like, like we literally somebody burned it to a disc and selling it in Chinatown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be awesome. That's yeah. So maybe that's how the, our listeners, like in in Russia and North Korea, are listening to us through. <laughs> yeah. Like no, no, our first two, our first two Russian listeners were this week. So if oh. you were listening from Russia, thanks, Putin. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, Do you think Putin's one of them? He's one of them. 
I hope. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> Fan mail. So, uh, so we, we don't cover the Iron Maiden album. We're going to cover an Iron Maiden. We don't cover the Iron Maiden album with Mother Russia on it. So, oh. unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately, that one uh, comes a little bit later in the early 90s. But um, I was hoping also that this week uh, brought us uh, send your, uh, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, which is my favorite uh, <laughs> Iron Maiden uh, ever. But we were one off on that oh. one, too. So, anyway, enough talking and malingering. Josh, will you run the albums we're covering this week? Yes, tonight we are covering Bobby Brown's Don't Be Cruel, followed by American Music Club's California, and then Katie Lang's... California. You like that one, Josh? <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> yep. Katie Lang's Shadowland, followed by Return to Iron Maiden with Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, and then Sinead O'Connor's The Lion and the Cobra, and then capping it off with Fishbone's Truth and Soul. All there from... go. 88 except for Sinead O'Connor which is 1987 perfect and I believe that our first take of the night gets to go to the returning champ Matt over there he's going to let us know what he thought of Bobby Brown don't be cruel I'm going to run some numbers here first John your favorite part of every segment mm-hmm. um, my, don't my be, the best <laughs> don't be cruel by Bobby Brown comes in at number 1893 in the 1980s on best ever albums Number 196 in 1988. Number 13,342 of all time. It is Bobby Brown's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. It did not make Rolling Stones list tonight. And Bobby Brown is ranked number 7,313 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. Uh, so Bobby Brown, yeah, I I know the singles from this record. I remember Bobby Brown, former member of New Edition. I was much more familiar with, I mean, got the, all the artists broke off and did their own thing, but I was, around this time, I, I was definitely much more familiar with Belle Biv DeVoe with their album Poison. I actually had a tape of co- copy of that hmm. um, when I was a kid. Actually, that's several years after. That's a couple, I think that was from 1990. So um, so this is a couple years before that. Were and, they um, also at, in New Edition? Is they were, yep. Oh, okay. Yep, uh, I don't remember. Bell, Biv, and DeVoe. I don't remember all their names. Ronnie, Ronnie Bell. Ronnie Bell. Ronnie Bell. Uh, Michael, Michael Bivens. Bivens and mm-hmm. something DeVoe. Okay, I'm not familiar Jack with New Edition. Jack DeVoe expanded universe here <laughs> yeah and then there was well, you've Bobby... also got johnny gill okay. johnny gill right right and yeah, ralph and was... tresvant oh so there were six of them were there six of them there were five and then johnny gill replaced bobby brown so oh, ralph okay. tresvant was the other yes yeah, so it was bell biv devoe ralph tresvant and bobby brown i think and then i believe johnny gill was added later well i've heard of all of those guys except for tresvant yeah. i don't know he Did was he more have a... like he was more adult contemporary r&b mm. Okay. So, uh, so Bobby, so this album, um, I, I like this and it reminded me of the Belle Biv DeVoe stuff. I like this, uh, this, this era of R and B that's got, um, exactly the new Jack swing. I, I love that style of, I think it's just so it's very catchy. It's got a great, it's kind of like, and in in parts of this record, it's kind of like a hybrid of like a rap album, but it's also got the R and B. Um, I I always like the upbeat songs of that, that the drum, it's definitely got its own, that eighties type production with this. It's a little bit synthesized with the drums and whatnot, but, um, I think it sounds great. I think it's, you know, it's upbeat and, 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 and catchy. Uh, I like the, um, you know, so the songs like don't be cruel, my prerogative and, um, 
what's the other out um every little step every those little are kind of like those are like the three bang main bangers of this record but i also like the ballads you know first i i was thinking back to kind of some of the other r&b records that we have covered and you know a lot of times my take would be oh i liked the upbeat songs i wasn't so much into the slower ballads and these ballads here i kind of i liked yeah i, I don't i don't know what it is about you know this era or this this type of this this style of uh, R and B, but um, well, I thought know the ballads were pretty good. It's well, all babyface. This, this yeah, it's about this L A. Reid and Babyface, like the yeah. two producers of that era. Yeah, so yeah. right. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at the. Sure. I have the writers the writers up here, and Bobby Brown did what did contribute to several parts parts of this. But if you look at pretty much across the board, it's Babyface and L A. Reid. You know, so the main writer. So it's um. There's some baby making music on this stuff, you know, lots of girls and lots of like, you know, I loving you forever and treat you right and let's get down tonight and all that stuff. Um, and it's just a fun record, you know, like this, it's, it's, um, it's of its time, but it's also good of its time that, that like, as John said, that new Jack swing kind of beat that, that shuffle, the, you know, it's very, it's too bad. It kind of died out. Like, I think that that's still something that, that, that holds that still holds together today. Um, even, I mean, I think you could probably do a version of this that's a little bit more modernized that still has a similar kind of swing and beat to it. So um, it's just, yeah, it's it's got the uh, the horns and it's got the attitude, my prerogative. He's going to do whatever he wants to do and all that stuff. So you got that as well. Um, so yeah, I this is R and B that I. I I, I know we're going to get more into this, but this was a uh, this is a thumbs up for me uh, from a guy who traditionally is not really into R and B specifically. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I'll let you go next, Josh, and I'll finish it up. Sure. Yeah, I I wasn't I'm not too familiar with Bobby Brown other than my prerogative and and him being married to Whitney Houston, and um, I think New Edition was also before before my time and so this i came to this album pretty fresh and i feel like this is the next uh evolution of of r&b um it's got then obviously the new jack swing is kind of a new thing um i think we briefly discussed it on one of the other albums um r&b albums maybe um i can't remember what it was but um we it definitely it was a little while ago but i definitely remember talking about it i forget um but that, that's kind of the backbone to this album, and it's got a really upbeat, fun energy to it. Um, there's there's a sense of humor. There's I feel like he's got a, a lot of swagger as an artist, and that comes through on the tracks. Um, you know, the my prerogative kind of being the best example of that. But you know, there's a there's a confidence here, and he's got a nice voice that 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 goes along with kind of the silky silkiness to the to the beats and to kind of the love songs and the s- songs about sex and then you've got <laughs> the song roni which i'd never heard before which was so funny lyric tenderoni yeah <laughs> but um tenderoni with the cheese later <laughs> um, but this is just tenderoni yeah oh yeah and um and uh but they have it has a nice groove to them also and the um, well, it is just called Roni on the album, John. So that's why. Oh no, I'm just. It oh, says to, it's it's like a Roni's like a nice girl. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's slang, yeah. And then, um, but like also can be tough. Like that's a Roni. Like can hang, but also she's nice. That's the that's a Roni. So yeah. Oh, got it. 
But um, yeah, it seems like, you know, this, I think Bobby Brown would lead to um, like boys to men and those other type, and there's other nineties R and B acts that are escaping well, me. Belle but... Bill DeVoe led to boys, boys to men, but they're in that. Yeah. Cause they discovered boys to men. Got it. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's an, I guess too, this is like another example of, uh, you know, an, a solo artist coming out of a group of like uh, artists that's, you know, probably aimed at like teens mostly. And I, I think this album too is, could be, was probably really um, beloved by teens or, you know, at least that market was probably had a big, um, you know, market share to that. And, but this album's pretty, has a pretty wide appeal too. I think it's, uh, it's fun to listen to. It's easy to listen to. And, um, you know, it's aimed at, it's aimed at a black audience, which, um, and I think there's probably some crossover appeal as well, but, um, you know, having that, having that represented, um, you know, on our podcast, but also kind of in the eighties, in the late eighties in 88 was, was an important thing. So. Well, I I want you to picture this guys. It's a, it's a cold morning, Christmas (laughs) morning in the year of 1988. Your friend, John on the podcast is opening up his (laughs) gifts, looking for different things. He'd made a list. And one of the things he'd asked for is the cassette tape of Bobby Brown's Don't oh, Be wow. Cool. And Santa <laughs> Claus ready. came through for you. <laughs> he opens it up. He looks to see what Santa gave him, and he sees the beginning of a box fade and a swanky suit on the front cover. <laughs> and he realizes that he's gotten Don't Be Cruel. And for the next two months, <laughs> pretty much every day, your friend John puts on this cassette to the to the level where my sister, when asking about the show and where we're at in the late 80s, said to me, well, you're going to have to cover Don't Be Cruel because, like, in the 80s, that was, like, your album for a while there. So to say, I, I first, like, this album was omnipresent in my school class. Like, mm-hmm. I did not know anybody who did not want this, and I would guess that probably 80% of my classroom uh, at the time, which was would have been a third grade classroom, yeah. um, was asking for this for Christmas. And yeah, I mean, I put this on and it was like being sucked back into a very early period of my life. I could still sing every single word of every song by memory <laughs> on this album. Yeah. Don't be cr- I lo- I. I love that it starts with the cruel interlude and ends with yes, like the yes. cruel exit, which is fantastic. It's and like both are epic. like only like 15 seconds long, but like they're just there. It goes into Don't Be Cruel, which uh, is just a fantastic pop song. Like a perfect example of the song that is like street enough to be played on black radio, but also you know, crossover enough that it can get you like a song on the Ghostbusters soundtrack like a year later you know and you know then you continue with my prerogative and every little step I also should mention that all of these songs came with fantastic videos that normally involve Bobby Brown doing just insane dancing like every little (laughs) step he's dancing around 
like gigantic letters, you know, in the, you know, they like l- looking after a girl, like sort of wooing a girl, you know, with like a, ja- a jacket with no shirt underneath, right? Yes. Like the bare chested. Yep. Yeah. And, and, uh, and he doesn't even, I don't even think he has the box fade there. I think he's got the thing where it's like the lopsided fade instead, where it's like one with a part. He's got yeah, like the heavier part on, on the, the other. Yep. So, and then it's like my prerogative, he comes out with that like Madonna headpiece on to an adoring crowd of women and basically is just like thrusting while there's somebody playing the sax and it's it just, you don't even know what the vibe, it's like, it looks like it's in a warehouse somewhere and Bobby Brown's just going for it. So that one's there and it just, the song Rockwitcha is another song that's like perfect, like Quiet Storm R&B. That's mm-hmm. just, it's just like a fantastic album, especially the front end of this album. Oh my God. It's like one fantastic track that was all over the radio um after another and josh i know you said it sort of was aimed at the black audience but this definitely crossed over too yeah like this stuff was going on pop especially like every little step and my prerogative those songs were sort of omnipresent Mm -hmm. um and uh you know and then the next album would have things like um on our own you know which you I, Matt, you probably know that one. Like too hot to I handle, too cold to hold. You call yeah. the Ghostbusters. And they laugh at oh yeah, 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 I know that yeah. song too. If yeah. it's up to us, call the Ghostbusters. <laughs> then it's in control. Yeah, that one. He's actually in the movie too when they get arrested, and he's like, he's like hanging out. He's like, oh, it's the Ghostbusters. Yeah, and there's oh, some right. other there's some other tracks you'd know too. And then uh, it's Ghostbusters too, Josh. Yeah, is what yep, that yep. one was tied to. And then, yeah, <laughs> the better like, one. There's another yes. one. There's Ray Parker Jr. dominated the first first one. There's another one like this, and then of course it takes the turn into like the more uh, tawdry Bobby Brown. Of course, highlighted by "Humping Around," which was the lead oh, track yeah. off of that album. <laughs> I forgot it about was that a, one. A fantastic song, um, and that was her there when he did it. But yeah, he was a, you know, he was sort of the archetype in some ways for like a '90s hip hop presence. Yeah. He was the guy that broke out of New Edition. Uh, the others, like Johnny Gill, would have like "Rub You the Right Way" and other songs, and Bell Biv DeVoe obviously <laughs> had "Poison" most notably. <laughs> you know that song, right? It's an awesome song. I do. Right? I just like forget and these names are just like all the yeah. just no, dripping awesome. with sexual oh, yeah, this song, I mean, and... Come on, man. There's gonna be all kinds of memory lane stuff on that. Like I said, I'm trying not to go yeah. uh, like into that lane quite yet. But yeah, this is this is that classic New Jack Swing sound. It's I, yeah. I as soon as it's L.A. Reed sound. Um, you know, he'd be all over. Stuff. Like Babyface kind of takes it in a little bit of a different direction and leans into where he even starts, you know, doing his own music. But he could do blues and different stuff like that. But like L.A. Reid just continued to do. I think Dallas Austin was the other guy. I think mm-hmm. it was the, the, his partner, and they were sort of around like Janet Jackson's career. Like we're gonna do like Rhythm Nation later, and even though that's not New Jack Swing, that's sort of that like L.A. Reid. I think that's as well. the album I was thinking of when we were talking Rhythm about Rhythm Nation, eighteen fourteen. Yeah. No, when we talked about her first set, her oh, control, other album. Yeah. yeah, control. Oh yeah, yeah. Jack control Swing. had elements in New Jack Swing, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So there's there's you know cousin sounds and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, this one is. It's funny that we did like Taylor Dane and Bobby Brown back to back because <laughs> yeah. they're two people I vividly remember having lots of hits. They kind of just don't kind of get discussed, but for people that live through the era, they have like deep fond memories of them and when mm-hmm. like, you throw their music in front of random people they're like oh this is pretty good how did i not re- know this person and they're like i don't know how they couldn't have been big or they were underrated it's like well yes but also they were huge in their time so it's it's all the things right but yeah um, and did you but, did yeah, you know about I mean, him God. from his first album like because this is his second i don't album know I how like bobby brown came into my 
consciousness. I think yeah. just MTV probably. Yeah, or the I radio. I don't think so. I think it was just p- the radio and just people listening and a lot of like older sisters of friends of mine, like like New Edition and just, you know, he had like a solo album ahead of it. This sound was starting to pop a little bit. So you mm. were starting to get bits and pieces and I don't know, but like it yeah. just, I got it early too. It was like before like my prerogative and stuff like really broke through. So I think some of it was a function of where I grew up too. And just yeah. the, the musical influences were just, you know, they were a little bit more, you know, R&B or rap and stuff. I, I got to that a little earlier maybe mm-hmm. than, than you guys got to just because that was more of the pop culture in that New York, New Jersey area, you know, yeah. city, you know, city adjacent area than maybe it was other places. But yeah, yeah he, he, I can't give this anything but a thumbs up this album. Yeah. Both in terms of, I think even if I didn't have that connection to it, I would still like that because I like the sound and I like this type of pop music yeah. but uh, I, with the connection it throws it over the hump a little bit more for me so yeah he didn't really have much long I mean he's only got five records no um, he actually had he four had with the same New Edition type of career that Taylor Dane had you know what I mean like two massive albums and then kind of although he did he did like three, two in the like 86, 88, 92, 97 and then yep. 2012 was his last album yep. so there was a big jump and, and he yeah and he did four albums with New Edition that was basically 83, 84, 85, 86 so right. they were quite prolific. And then they had uh they came back in like the mid nineties. New edition, yeah. They didn't they tour yeah. they toured they had a, a tour and everything. Yeah, and they brought back like all six of them, the original five along with Johnny Gill, and at different times they were like there and I remember they made a video and they were like all in like suits and stuff and mm. yeah, it was just it was kinda like, Oh look, new edition's back. So yeah. Yep. New so, new yeah, edition. Yeah, I don't know how you guys. I just, I love this cover by the way too because I yeah. always try to figure out like where Bobby Brown is standing because there's like a marble. And, yeah. like, I know this cover without even having it up. It's like there's a marble side of it, and then there's like what looks to be like a wooden background part of it, and then or Bobby like Brown. It's like he's in a hotel lobby. Perhaps yeah, it's weird. Yeah, he's got, got a nice like suit a white though. Pocket scarf, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah, double, double breasted suit. Yep. Double breasted suit. Yes, and isn't he carrying something too? No, 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 he's no, got he's... one hand in his pocket and the other one on a chair, on the back of a, a chair. chair. That's like. right. Yeah. That's, okay, gotcha. That's right. So, yeah, I'm trying to – yeah, he's standing in, behind a chair. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just – icon- the word iconic is used way too often, but for my <laughs> world, for the John world, this was an iconic album cover because as soon as I got it, you know what I mean? Like, I knew what I yeah. was getting, and it was, yeah, big score. So, um, while this was not the first album I bought with my own money – it was maybe the first album I asked for for Christmas at like the influence of friends, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to just it being bought for me. Cause they're like, Oh, you know that song you heard on the radio that you sing when you're five, like here's a cassette of it. And it's like, Oh, how about that? Like not quite understand. This was like, I wanted this album. So mm-hmm. yeah. So it's got oh, look at that. All music. Alex Henderson of all music says that don't be cruel was to Bobby Brown. What control was to Janet Jackson, a tougher oh, yeah, work for sure. A tougher, more aggressive project that shed its bubblegum, his bubblegum image altogether, and brought him to new, a new artistic and commercial plateau. Yeah, so I can see that. Sure. That's actually a great comparison because yep. yeah, it took them from like more teen, you know, performer to yeah, adult with sex appeal type performer. Mm, yeah, because he's yeah. not singing like Candy Girl here. No, you know? no, he's singing. He's singing. Yeah, <laughs> yes, rock much, with you. And, much yeah. less innocent on this one. No, or yeah. more aware. Could be mature. Take it slow. Yes. 
Self-actualized. Self-actualized. <laughs> Something like that. But yes, thumbs up. Would I, is it safe to say that you guys feel the same way? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's. I think it's kind of essential, like, to understanding the pop I, culture of I'm, that era. Oh yeah. I'm gonna make a guess too. I'm gonna guess because I think Josh has. I'm gonna guess that Josh is gonna become an even bigger fan of R and B through our journey here, and and I think oh that. I have no idea how Matt's going to be, but I think some albums are going to resonate with him and some are not. And I'm going to have absolutely no idea why yeah, some will and some won't. Too. But, do you know yeah. how old, do you, by the way, do you know how old he was when this came out? Like 19, no. My math is accurate. <laughs> old. 19? 19. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That sounds crazy. about right. That's what I would wow. That's what I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were no, like was, young new edition when they Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. he was he was he was born only, in 69. He's this he's was only 88. 54. Yeah, he's, he's as old as Rue. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Wow. Uh, yeah, but yes, yeah, they, he was it it is amazing artist ages. Right? Know, especially now that we're going to start going into the era when it just won't seem like everybody's older because they predate us. Now we're getting into the era where some people were contemporaries, albeit not in direct age with us, but the processing in some, it's, I think it's yeah. going to be like, whoa, they're way older than I thought. Holy cow. Yeah. I was really like, wow, they're only that young. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So I think that puts a bow on the Bobby Brown segment, but yeah, check this one out. This one's like a little bit of a hidden gem at the end mm-hmm. of the eighties. And uh, shout out to my sister who had to listen to this album through the wall of our bedrooms she loved it too she is a fan though yes she is a fan of this album so it was not there and you know there will be some albums in the early 90s which i will shout out to my sister both albums that i listen to and she processes as mine and then ones that i process as uh ones that she listened to regularly Mm -hmm. in the 90s so yeah nice so there you go and with that being said we're gonna move to album number two uh, certainly not as commercially successful. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean better or worse, but uh, another one of Matt's favorites, an album that is not on streaming services. It's on YouTube. <laughs> it's American nonsense. Music Club, California. So, yeah, so, yeah this comes Josh in. That's the first take, but yep, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'll run the numbers and then Josh can go. So this uh, American Music Club's California comes in at number 563 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 50 in 1988, number 3,672 of all time, it is American Music Club's highest-rated album on Best Ever Albums. It did not make Rolling Stones list. And American Music Club is ranked number 1,449 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. All yeah, right, so, Josh, what did you think? Yeah, so another yeah, Josh. another artist I had not heard of before. And I can definitely see kind of the influence of them, or at least the sonic you know, lineage um, to later artists there they I would classify them as purely like Americana type of music they really cross over between um, they've got some country sound to them and rock and a little bit of folk um, all all mixed and melded together in their albums I would say overall this album is kind of mellow um, probably too mellow for me I didn't really it, it brings an energy that that is pretty laconic and um you know they're not it's not kind of hard rock at all um i would say that they're more you know they're more chill than anything else they um but they also kind of reminded me 
of different artists like like the Abbott Brothers somewhat. Uh, I got some Neil Young, especially in like a song like Now You're Defeated um, and, and kind of a hearkening back to, to some 60s sound as well. And even something like Sufjan Stevens, I, I kind of got a vibe from, from this on it. And I would say that, you know, the lyrically they're kind of dealing with um, you know, like a down and out type of uh, personality or per- or character, and you know something like bad liquor, which has got this bluesy um, uh, feel to it. That's probably actually my favorite song on this album. And then um, they also go acoustic sometimes too on a song like Jenny. So they really have, uh, I think, overall the the kind of melding of the genres and the um the yeah i mean i guess that was ultimately this wasn't my favorite album of the ones we've listened to actually it's probably my least favorite of all of these and um there was some there was something missing from it for me i think either the energy or just kind of the um the instrumentation it's you know it's primarily um you know guitar and and the, the basic four person setup I think that's all that's in the band but yeah this this album was a thumbs in the middle to me it didn't blow me away but it was certainly listenable yeah this um a couple things I, this album is defined to me by the pedal steel <laughs> I think it's oh, almost yeah. impossible mm-hmm. to uncouple this album from that pedal steel sound so I think that's where if you haven't heard this album, when Josh is saying like the Americana and stuff like that, um, yep. that is definitely the tie-in. I would say lyrical content and mood of the album is sort of forlorn, forlorn boozy. I would describe it a little bit. Like this is, you know, that confessional, yep. um, melancholic um, about love and life and loss and. Um, spinning those types of stories pretty consistently in that sense um while they don't sound exactly like it they sort of occupy the same lane as a band like the national does in terms of lyrical content and and general mood to me a little bit they also have what would become i think a lot more prevalent not just in sort of those roots rock americana type acts that that josh mentioned um like avid brothers and you know wilco stuff like that but also um, things like bright eyes and stuff like that, like that type sort of vibe mm-hmm. uh, while not an exact fit is here as well. Um, that sound when it's an entire album for me can get a little long in the tooth for me because I feel like they're playing the same trick over and over again on the album a couple times. And while I enjoyed this album and thought some of the songwriting was actually resonated with me quite a bit both lyrically and and also just the sound of the lyrics with the actual music I do think that after a while I kind of was looking for another trick uh that sort of never came and a little bit more either sophistication or energy like I got a little bit like the song bad liquor was a nice little change of pace in terms of coming at a different angle and I it was amusing to me. I, I I did read somewhere that a lot of the people who like the band did, do not really love that song very much. Um, I did think uh, the song "Blue and Gray Shirt" was particularly good. Um, I was I 
I kind of listened to it with the lyrics turned on on the YouTube captions, and it was definitely about a death. And then I found out later that it was actually about a friend of the songwriters uh, who died of AIDS. Um, no. And it's a it's a very um, it's a very well written song um, and uh, really resonates. So that's one I'd check out if you like lyrics quite a bit. But um, I, I as I was listening, I was laughing, and I, I don't want to talk for Matt, but I was like, boy, this is this is a Matt album right here. So like, um, I am curious, Matt, to hear if this one ascends up a level maybe higher than it did for Josh and I. I have some other thoughts too, but I want to kind of bring Matt in because some of it I want to ask him maybe some questions or, or feed off of his response. So what'd you think, Matt? Well, it has a lot of the hallmarks of a Matt album, but I'm with you guys. I wasn't really feeling okay. this, um, which mm, okay. I was kind of disappointed in because I, off the bat, I thought I, th- I thought the beginning was pretty good. I like, you know, Fire, Firefly and Somewhere. I yeah. thought that was, I said, okay, I think this could be something that I will get down to. And the more it just went on, the more I listened to it, I was finding not a whole lot to really grab onto. I found a lot of it kind of, I mean, you guys used a lot of good descriptors for this. I found it meandering at times. I found it a little bit of a slog. I found it a little bit, I don't mind melancholy, acoustic, sad bastard music. It's not, you know, that's, and it's perfectly uh, encapsulated by the song Western Sky, which I think is a great song. I, I, that's, that might be my favorite on this record. And, um, and for and it's hard for me to describe because it's not like that song sounds terribly different from a lot of the other songs on this. It's just mm-hmm. that there's something about the chord progression and just what they're doing with the guitar that that resonated a little bit more with me than some of the other things on here. It's um, all of that stuff you guys said, Americana, a lot of the other bands that you were drawing from, I would probably agree with. I thought a lot of times his voice sounded like Evan Dando from the Lemonheads. I was yeah. definitely getting a little bit of an Evan Dando vibe here, but it's a nice it, voice. It's pleasant. Sure. And, yeah. and, and there's some interesting guitar parts here. There's, but it's just, I, yeah, for 12 songs at like, however, I don't know, what is it? 47 minutes or 50, what, 50 minutes, something like that. It just, it just the more I listened to this, the more I was just thinking, I don't need to listen to this. <laughs> I don't, you know, like I, I do like Americana. I do, you know, like the acoustic, folky, um, you know, kind of sound. It's just that for whatever reason, that the structure of a lot of these songs just didn't really hit with me. It just, you know, kind of seemed yeah. boring, to be quite honest. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go so far as to give this a thumbs down because wow. um, I. I I should this is what I like and this just really did I this would not be a record if somebody asked me to kind of point them in a the direction of of a uh, you know kind of an Americana singer songwriter folky type like yeah. you know there's there's no way I would come even close to this you know I think that there's way right. more things that you could come with um, come at me with and maybe the, the the genius here or the 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 best part of this album is in the lyrics and that. I, Props to them. It I'm is sure. The strongest part. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure the lyrics are great, but for me, as a pretty much a non-lyrics person, that's not why I am here or why I listen to music. I just I couldn't. This was a little bit of a snooze for me, and I was disappointed. So because of that, that contrast of of a, of a you know, it's like the opposite of the Bobby Brown thing, right? It's like a genre that's not my thing that really like I connected with versus a genre that I typically do connect with and really like and just doing very little for me. Yeah. I got to go thumbs down here. I, I was expecting more. Yeah. Well, well I'm... it has a little bit of Leonard Cohen in it too. Like uh, Pale and Skinny Girl yeah. feels like a Leonard Cohen mm. song. And I, 
I felt a little bit like how I felt about those Leonard Cohen albums we covered in the 60s where there were bits and pieces I liked and I can see where if you're in a in a certain type of mood or it connects with you the, the tales right and especially that romantic feel while also sad romantic it's there but it just left yeah it left me searching for more for sure yeah. so I'm not gonna go that maybe as quite a thumbs down as you but I'd say a slight tilt down a little bit for me yeah, yeah. Well, I'm seeing here that <laughs> Wikipedia one of the genres is called slow core or also <laughs> interchangeable with sad core. So in the, in the realm of Josh core, those are not in his slow wheelhouse. Like, they just put core in front of anything. Like, you know, well, it's, it's, own, it's its own Wikipedia page, yeah. which totally makes sense. Cause they, they to describe slow core as songs featuring uh, minimal backing, slow speeds, depressing lyrics, <laughs> or downbeat melodies. So minimalist what arrangements. Like yeah. What is the core needed for? Like I why not just call it like <laughs> slow? Know. It's like it's like core and wave are the two things yeah. you can put at the but end. It's of like everything. hardcore. I guess it says here core. it was began in the early '90s as an act of rebellion against the predominant energy and aggression of grunge. Yeah. Slowcore is not something I want in my music, so it's going to be is real. well ahead of that. <laughs> it grunge is. wasn't even really happening yet. It, it's, yeah. it was just like maybe retroactively applied. Retroactive no. slowcore. Yeah, yeah. Pre, I pre slowcore. <laughs> proto yeah. right. Proto slowcore. Proto protocore. Proto slowcore. Yeah, proto slow. Proto sc. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We just make up all of our own terms. We should just yeah every album. CBS John- album database. Where did what is this? Isn't a, uh, po- a post punk? This was flash a card. It's a pitchfork. Pitch yeah, fork, uh, albums of the of the eighties. Which when I say that, I think both of you guys would go, yeah, you know, like it's definitely. I, a I mean, I get it. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, it mm-hmm. does. It's it's not really. It doesn't sound like an eighties record. Like you know, a lot of the music no, that true. we're talking about here. No, it is, doesn't for sure. Is, yeah, is stuff that was coming out in the you know the the 90s and even to even stuff that's coming out today you know so i guess in that sense it's a little bit you know it stands out in the time that it came out so i you know props to them for that it's just i don't know it's um it it, it, it can be so much better than this for me anyways but i i will say western sky was a song i really liked i thought that that was i thought that was solid i thought firefly and somewhere the first two tracks were pretty decent um Bad Liquor, I think, probably was a little bit. Oh, that was nice. But I still, that song didn't do a whole lot for me. And just Jenny, you know, Highway 5, it's just like, okay. It's like, I equate it to a little bit of also Sun Kill Moon um, mm. stood out. was a little bit of a of a comparison point here. And, I, and that's another artist. I think we're going to cover them or him um, at some point. Which I, there's some there's some of his stuff that I love and some of his stuff I'm like oh my god turn this off you know so I think I think I it do, can be a it can be a fine line between the two of those for me with this type of music I I do love how you know all music usually does like you know word salad for their things but it has album themes and album moods for this so album themes only has five things ready breakup heartache jealousy reflection introspection which yeah mm-hmm. and album moods angst ridden brooding cathartic bittersweet plaintive so somber sad and melancholy so that should if you haven't listened to this that should give you an idea of you know the theme of the album which is not necessarily a bad thing for me but it it carries universally throughout this without having like it doesn't seem like it's tied to like a specific relationship ending or a you know event right it's sort of more just 
a general mood as opposed to yeah you know what i'm saying like there's like variations of the theme this seems that the theme is sadness and then you project it out so oh this was also a 1001 album we have to hear before we die, before we die. i'm seeing okay. on this yep gotcha I'm going down the slow core rabbit hole, and it seems like <laughs> quickly, quickly on this yes, segment. Yes. Yeah. It seems like Lo, the band Low is a pretty well known band yep. for this genre, and Galaxy 500 seem to and be we're the covering two, both of them two standouts. The so we'll see mm-hmm. if that comes back. Um, there's yep. also an article for 10 essential slow core albums, so I'm not going to be listening to any of those. So. Weekends. I, weekends. I still think it or... can be good. I, 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 it's not the genre itself. It's just the way that these songs are done. That's it's. Yeah. I, I, I'm probably going to be fine with slow core. There are certain variations of it, but just not this one. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, unfortunately, um, that one's not going to stick as much on our playlist, but we'll see if album number three will, and that is Katie Lang's Shadowland. Before I give the first take, Matt, do you want to run the numbers? So Katie, Lang, Katie Lang's Shadowland comes in at number 1,342 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 136 in 1988, number 9,101 of all time. It's Katie Lang's second highest rated album on Best Ever Albums behind 1992's Inguine in Gen... Ingenue. Ingenue. <laughs> See, this is why I am not in the word green. guy. In ingenue. That, that would not have been what I would have thought. Wow. That's a, in, that's a in green, right there. In green, yes. in Jenny, whatever. That album. <laughs> uh uh, Katie, this Shadowland, Shadowland, I can pronounce that one, uh, was not on Rolling Stones list, and it's Katie Lang is ranked number 1,423 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. Gotcha. Well, I my parents owned uh, both this album and Ingenue, oh. so I heard this quite a bit. Um, did Anjanu right, have think, constant craving on it? Is that it the, did? Yes, okay, that was, that was the, the big blow, hit off of one, it. Yeah, she blew. That, that, well, she had a couple a couple different hits. Um, like at different times, but yeah, that's probably the one that most people know. Um, I, you know, uh, there's a song called Black Coffee. Yes, um, on this album. Mm-hmm. On this album that was a pretty uh, big song. And uh, I can definitely remember hearing I'm Down to My Last Cigarette on the radio as well um, at different times. But um, yeah, I this is an album I really enjoy. I, I kind of Katie Lang is a throwback to old older country like mm-hmm. not quite like outlaw country but like um patsy klein right like country and there's an elvis element to like how katie lang sings yep. um and i guess the other person during this era of time that always reminds me a little bit of katie lang who's doing sort of the same thing was like chris isaac was another guy who i thought kind of was that elvis influenced slightly country um, modernized version of it, but uh, I I really like the mood of this album. Um, yep. It's just an album that very much evoked a place for me, um, kind of like in a in a rainy cafe, or or, or even it was both equally as um, apropos for a rainy cafe as it was like sort of a like a bar, like a dive bar you'd go to where there's an act and she's sort of on the stage on like an open mic type deal um singing um it has that a little bit of that grittiness but also the mainstream accessibility right that that those musics have as well it's 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 both of its time but also of another time 
um, before that. So I, I love Katie Lang's voice. Um, it's a really rich tone, um, like a huskier tone, but, but rich, uh, warm, I'd say, um, mm -hmm. even when she's, and, and I, I love her lyrics and there's humor in her lyrics, but even when she's not singing about anything particularly profound, the way she sings makes you pay attention to what she's saying, even if what she's saying is not weighty, if that makes sense. Um, just because it seems like it should be important or more profound than it is would be the best way I would kind of describe um, that element of her performing. But yeah. um, she, uh, like, uh, how would, I guess, and I've got some other stuff, I, I guess, that I can throw in later that I want to go to, but I don't want to, like, step over your takes. I'm, I'm very mindful of not repeating and, and, you know, giving too much all at once. And so I'll hold some back to go. Um, I think Matt gets the second take here. Matt, what do you think of this one? Yeah, so, um, I, all right, so I, I always knew, I've known Katie Lang's name. I remember her, you know, probably being interviewed and just, just being in the ether. I had no idea she did country music like that. I yeah. would just, I just, I was not, I was, as soon as I heard the first song, I said, Katie Lang's, a, okay, maybe this is just Western stars. It's just like a, a throwaway country, country song. And then the next, then we're going to get like the Katie Lang thing, whatever that is. And as it turns out, no, that's basically what it is, um, which was surprising to me for whatever reason. I just, I never knew that. So um, I, I did learn that. Uh, country Western is what I was, what is the genre that, I mean, you talk about the old time yeah. country sound. I mean, that's country and Western music, like the Patsy Cline, you know, it, as well as just almost like standards, you know, there's like a, I think it's just all, like, that's like the Elvis feel for me. Yeah. It's like, because you know, that, where yes. blues meets country western meets yeah. or yeah, even just like lounge kind of singer roll. stuff like you know even like a tony bennett kind of you know there's a little bit of that in here and yeah josh you're right they, i'm looking here now they're they're, they're all covers and right. um actually chris isaac is he he wrote western stars the opening track well it makes record. sense it sounds exactly like a yeah. chris isaac. i didn't know that wow okay I yeah that, so so this and I, i'm not really recognizing a whole lot of the other writers um on here but uh so yeah this was an easy listen um this is like an old you know it's 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 kind of like going back to the old standard you know comfort it's like comfort food of music it's just it's like an old familiar friend that you just lost touch with for so many years and you forgot was out there and to come back to it and you're just like oh man this is you know how do you not like this is this is stuff my grandparents would love too you know like this is this is kind of like a universal type song it's there's i mean there's not really any edge to it so if you want something that's like this i don't know unique edgy sound you know or production or you know tricks in the studio you're certainly not getting it this is just stripped down um you know it's quasi singer songwriter lots of country this is to me this is more of the of the steel guitar or the slide guitar than than the american music club um yeah, yeah, although that sure. was in there this is For it's sure. much more this is it's much by it too. Yep. yeah it's much more prominent here and it's just an easy listening um it's there's some sad stuff in here there's there's a little jazz there's some jazzy elements as well i would say so you're really just throwing i mean just take any any um classical pop you know uh genre and, and kind of just throw it in a blender and this is what it is right this is kind of like the beginning of music you know this is before rock and roll certainly um uh but there's uh 
you know, but there's just so many things in here that are just, it's very easy to just, um, put on like, you know, and just, uh, envelop yourself in and just let it be because it's just a really pretty sounding record she's got a great voice i was definitely i liked how she was doing on uh what is it waltz me once around once again around the dance floor at the end she's doing the like she gets that guttural (laughs) kind of like vocal thing that's going in there she's scooping the voice and just really really easy pleasant listen so yeah yeah i can't do anything but give a thumbs up on this yeah this album was a real eye-opener for me i i loved it it was all the things that you guys said, her her voice is, is the clear standout. It really has a range and a power to it, and she seems to be able to have a lot of control over how she uses it, and she really kind of embodies these songs. And, and, and the album really drew me in with right from the start. She just seemed to have this kind of power to her that, that I really responded to. Um, the songs being all covers, it is like her kind of, I mean, it is her interpretation of them, but it's also very much an homage to how they probably originally sounded. It, it is almost like she is, these are like country standards that she is, you know, updating to some extent, or at least, um, uh, you know, reinterpreting. But she she clearly has some sort of affection for the for this sound too, because she just, she just, I mean, I really feels like she embodies them um, uh, and singing it and is having a good time. I mean, the last song, Honky Tonk Medley, has Loretta Lynn on it and Brenda Lee and Kitty, Kitty Wilson, who, you know, are all famous um, country, female country artists. And, and um, so I think she she's indebted to them and she's also just, you know, seems to have great affection for for, you know for performing with them and she has a lot of fun um you know there's a mix of kind of upbeat country like with with um waltz me around that's kind of got a toe tapping like swing country swing sound to it and um there's a lot of a good instrumentation on this you know like the pedal steel features on here the lap steel too i think these are all kind of like hallmarks of classic country and this this music is almost, you know, different. We we touched on some country albums throughout the decades up to this point, but these songs are almost like pre '60s country that we've that we've talked about. So it, it really kind of has a kind of a fresh sound for me listening to it. And I've actually seen her perform before with um, with Neko Case and and Lang, and that they did a trio album called Case Lang Veers, and she was really the audience's was really um into her and um and i i enjoyed her performance as well but this um you know even on a song like black coffee which i think is a real standout track for me and i think i'd heard it before somewhere along the way she brings like a sultry sexiness to it as well and um so she's i guess my point is that she's really tries she has a range in her emotions that she brings to these songs and and the singing is top notch and I think it seems like there's a lot of uh, personnel on on that album with in terms of, you know, uh, uh, session musicians or just kind of people who really know what they're doing because the album sounds great as well. And it's just um, it was just a pleasure to listen to. I, I it's really high up there for me. Um, and uh, 
very different than what we're what I'm what we're used to listening to on the podcast. You know, country's always been a small um, segment of of the genre that we listen to, and um, yeah, just big thumbs up from me. But Matt is right too. It's got like that element of the standards and that torch, the the, the torch singers. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I'm talking about when I say torch music, like singing about like lost love and love gone, but in a in sort of a broader way. Like uh, yep. sometimes, like you know, Dusty Springfield could be a torch singer. Yeah, uh, she did a cover of like Roy Orbison crying. Another guy who you know wrote like torch songs a little yeah. bit, and um, that's another good comparative point. I think Roy Orbison, like the lane he's in. Um, is it country? Is it rock and roll? You know, is it blues or is the answer? Yes. Right. It's kind of all of them. And that's the Chris Isaac thing too. Um, and interestingly enough, Matt, the fact that you brought it up, I kind of chuckled as I did it right here. She actually did an album with Tony Bennett, uh, of standards. Oh yeah. 2001. Yeah. I didn't know that, but it's like, yeah, I could absolutely see that. I, I, Um, I forgot that she did. I, that does ring a bell now, but, um, I don't know. Maybe that's part of why that came up in my in my head as well. But yeah, it didn't. I agree with you, Josh. It's kind of it's different than that uh, Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton records that we covered from. Yeah. Those were six. Were those sixties? Is that yeah? I think so. Well, it's those not days. of the American South or rural America because she's it's, Canadian, right? And, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't have that Southern kind of. It's it's more of like an old standard Western, Western but also yeah. like just. Again, I go back to like a standard kind of. This is stuff that I could see my grandmother and grand, you know, grandparents live like that. The old, the greatest generation, you know, like stuff like that. That this is kind of falling in the lane that's of some of the music that they would have listened to as well. Um, so it does kind of have that older. It's 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 that older timeless sound, you know. That's just was it's, it's like it, adult music songs, but yeah. adult themes written, you know, without like vulgarity, right? Like you use like black coffee to stand in for, you know. The relationship right like everything yeah. that's in it you don't have to feel the need to talk about the love or the loss or the passion or the it's just like you just use these analogies right and we haven't even mentioned by the way one of the things that's most interesting about katie lang is like her persona right like while she's singing sort of this very classic music she was this very like androgynous figure right like yeah especially at this time, because she had not formally come out at this time. Right, right. Um, And she's, you know, winning Grammys. And, you know, Nashville has no idea what to make of her, right? Because, you know, she here's this, like, androgynous, like, vegetarian, right? Then they're, like, but singing music that, like, their audience loves, right? And what do you do? You know, <laughs> she's not, yeah. like, poking you in the face, but she doesn't invite – she's not going to play the Grand Ole Opry very easily either. So – I think her lane was very interesting because I can definitely remember when I first saw her at the end of the 80s and even in the early 90s when she was doing stuff, she had sort of a striking presence because there was like really nobody else, you know, in that type of music that sounded so traditional, but who was sort of, I, I hesitate to even say gender bending, but, you know, it would be like wearing suits and having shorter hair, but also being, you know, having definitively feminine, you know, characteristics you know facially and stuff and that is another interesting thing about her as sort of a as a pop culture icon because she's mm-hmm. like winning these grammys and crossing over while also doing it in a way that didn't easily define it wasn't easy to define i think would be the best way i'd put it so i always find that interesting when somebody is like completely non-traditional in one front and then is doing traditional music so right yeah no, it was, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was, it's clearly, um, 
something she she identified with um, musically and uh, and I, I feel the I feel the joy behind the album I guess ultimately yeah, yeah. was this um and what, reverence uh, for the type of music exactly. you could tell yeah, this reverence. is That'd like be a well, studied, mm-hmm. well studied well uh, studied of the genre and yeah. like a love letter but also yep. with her own touch yep. yeah yeah John so where'd you get this from post-punk flashcards <laughs> No, no, no. no. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Do you remember what? No, this, is, this was on um, one of the top lists. I was. It wasn't on Rolling Stone. I didn't. I didn't see it on Rolling Stone. I, okay. I can double check there, but I, I don't think so. It was definitely um, on one of those lists. You know, like yeah. the um, yeah top hundred albums. A thousand from one. one of them, or, yeah. And this is also one. an album that could that could have shown up in any decade, made any decades list, you know, like, cause yeah. it's not, this oh, is not an eighties sure. route. Like what, what decade would you associate this record with? Like, you know, it doesn't you can really... release this now, really. I, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's as much as a, a timeless record as we've, as we've covered, you know, cause it really could fit at any time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So thumbs up for me, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me too. And we are halfway through the show guys. Um, we are moving into album number four, and this is the first album we're covering this week that represents a repeat of an artist we've done before, and I believe the only repeat artist. We're it is. This yep. Week. Yep. Mm-hmm. And is this Iron Maiden album number three for us? Yes. It is. Yep. yep. Iron Maiden album number three. Yep. Seventh so, Son of a Seventh Son. There you go. Yep. So Seventh Son of a Seventh Son is number 101 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 10 in 1988, number 679 of all time. It's Iron Maiden's third highest rated album. So yes, John, we, we it was behind two other albums that we covered, including 1984's Power Slave and their highest rated album, number uh, 1982's Number of the Beast. Um, none of Iron Maiden's albums made it on Rolling Stone's list, so whatever. Yeah. And... Uh, Iron Maiden is ranked number 88 of overall artist rankings on best ever albums. And I think I go, I go first on this one. So you do. Uh, yeah, they do it again. It's and and I trying to going to try to search for words to differentiate this between the other <laughs> records, because I don't know if Iron Maiden real, I, it would be hard for me to kind of like hear an Iron Maiden song and like, try to guess which album it was on because mm. it's just, this is what they do. You know, it's like the interesting, I, Okay. I, I mean, I, I to me, I, I mean, and maybe I have, I haven't obviously listened to enough Iron Maiden to be able to go like, oh, this is the era when they blah blah, you know. Maybe their first couple albums, I know there's they, they sound different than when they got Bruce Dickinson on board and started with like Number of the Beast and some of these other albums, yeah. but, um, but I don't necessarily, I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I'm just saying, you know, it's for me as a kind of a you know, a novice Iron Maiden fan. Um, it's just, it's hard for me to kind of, you know, differentiate things. But um, about the, what I can say about this record is uh, it's awesome. And uh, I like, one of the things I like about Iron Maiden is, is the way that they do the kind of the prog metal, you know, lots of things in different movements. Mm-hmm. You know, a song like Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, which is, you know, nearly 10 minutes long. There's like several different parts that they're weaving out and kind of creating this overall oral you know, a tapestry of, you know, of just a variety of things that all kind of like meld together. You know, there's, it's, they speed it up, they bring it down, they do crazy guitar solos, they do really melodic, you know, um, you know, harmonies, guitar harmonies. And, uh, infinite dreams was another song that was kind of like that. That's very, um, 
you know, had a couple of different parts and, you know, takes you in directions that surprise you. Like there's that part in Infinite Dreams where they do those, they do that dual guitar kind of back and forth together, the melody um, and the harmonies with that, that are just like, as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> like that's, uh, you know, that, 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 that's, that's really, uh, that's really picking things up here. So um, it starts with Moonchild, which is a cool, you know, they kind of have this dramatic intro to it. And then they do this, like, it's like a synthesized violin kind of intro is what it sounds like. And it just brings you into this, you know, brings you into the Iron Maiden world. Um, so I pretty much liked every song on here. I think the uh, Can I Play With Madness was a little bit of an interesting song because to me that seemed a little bit veering a little bit out of the Iron Maiden lane and kind of going more into a uh, like more of an arena rock, um, slightly generic hard mm. rock type song um, that, you know, and they have like a synthesizer in there that's kind of like a little Bon Jovi-esque. It, you know, it's, it's a harder than a Bon Jovi song, but they kind of, they're throwing some elements of a more pop arena rock oriented type song. Um, it's still good. It's not as, it's not where they shine though. Um, I don't think. And, um, but uh but yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe I would need to listen more to um, to really be able to differentiate between this and like you know, um, Number of the Beast or Power Slave or some of the other records that they were doing right around this time. But man, they're just great. They just they sound they 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 incorporate so many different elements of what I love about music: the the complexity, the catchiness, the melodic nature, the edge. Um, you know, the the virtuoso virtuoso you know uh, uh, playing. Um, how it just it can even though it's kind of its own it's it's in the lane of heavy metal but it's just it's it it does enough to keep you interested throughout even though you know a lot of the sounds are kind of in the same lane um i i i, I wouldn't call this i i would and would not call this samey you know if, if 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 i'm able to do that um because it's it's i don't think they're veering out a, a whole lot but man they just they're so great that i just i don't care i just love everything that they that they do so yeah i can't i absolutely thumbs up on this well in, you pointed out what the main difference i heard this time around okay. with them is and it's the fact that they incorporate a keyboard slash synth yes. sound into now, okay into yes, yes yes that's true yes that's fair <laughs> that yep. was not okay. a, not not here before in the 80s that of... was my really about i'm like really <laughs> yeah. you can hear these keyboards that are all yeah. over the but album, okay so. yes you're right but i also don't think that it's I don't know. It didn't stand out to me so much. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so different. You know, like mm. I, I, I noticed it, but it also, yeah, okay. But I don't, I don't view it as being that different from what they yeah. were. Cause the, cause the, the core of who they are is still very much the forefront of what I'm hearing here. So yeah. maybe that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I mean, that could be a testament to them incorporating it well <laughs> into their sound too. But, yeah. um, uh, the other thing, I, the other big thing is kind of the through line of the, of the album clearly is kind of, there's like a fantasy element and, and uh, I, I'm guessing this is a concept album. Oh, um, Josh, it is a concept <laughs> album. For sure. And I'll tell you all about it. Okay. okay. Do we have a story and everything? Is there like a character and everything like that? I'll, I'll share a little bit of the concept. So yeah. Right. I'm gu- I mean, I'm guessing even just by the titles, you can kind of, I was going to say, you guys didn't get the least line. bit curious <laughs> yeah. as to what seventh son of a seventh son meant. Cause this yeah. guy did. So not yeah. really. Yeah. I, I was curious. Yeah, but then I forgot. Um, the so, yeah, this is. Um, I I did not like this album as much as their previous efforts. I think because I hold kind of uh, number of the beast and and those uh, and peace of mind and and power slave kind of in such high esteem. Um, I really like when they 
when they not just the you know the guitar work that they have which still holds up here but this kind of veers into the proggy territory it's definitely in kind of like the rush rush zone of of rock music for me too um uh i think that in some respects incorporating the keyboard and synth made them sound a little lighter which is kind of crazy to to say but um i don't know i just feel like the other earlier albums kind of rocked harder for me um this i think they are kind of experimenting a bit more here and and branching out a bit and but they still have kind of songs that have multiple movements and um instrumental breaks and the um and uh but still have the driving guitars and kind of the um the big percussion and I don't know I think some of the th- I, I like some of the themes of of the earlier songs too I like when they're commenting on war and kind of you know uh, Native Americans and the, their land being taken and just kind of the the way they kind of encap- encapsulate the a certain theme or um, story within a single song and I think this is more of a, a branching out because there is a, a through line and I think they're trying to tell a story I guess through the music but um that didn't work as well for me um and yeah so that's that's kind of it's a slight step down I would say I didn't I wasn't as pulled in um to this album as some of their other ones so still thumbs up for me though yeah I'm with you Josh I uh, I know Maiden fans really like this album um it, it stands out for them I kind of look at this as Maiden leaning in a little bit to like excessive tendencies. It's got a little bit of a press to be like Matt said, like arena Rocky there's prog rock. As you mentioned, I would go also say they were a little bit influenced by the glossier metal that was around. Um, You know, there's like the Van Halen lane of using keyboards. And then there's this where I don't love iron maiden with keyboards. It, gets a little bit borderline cheesy at times for me i'd say mm-hmm. uh the, i i have a, a couple of songs i really don't like of iron maidens are on here most notably infinite dreams is a song i've really not like can i play with madness is another song i am not a fan of um in the 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 canon i'd say i there's yeah. stuff like the evil that men do that's still pretty great and uh, i like uh the clairvoyant but they're definitely going for the epic here yep um and everything's just bigger and brighter and bolder but part of what draws me to iron maiden is just the guitar sound and the like an an aggressiveness that just is absent at times on this album and yeah i noticed that too i I couldn't put my yeah and i just i i I wanted a little bit more like drive and um just uh like punch it punch you a little like i don't need um maiden to be gritty because they're not gritty and i don't need them to be loud or heavy right but i need them to be a little bit more um tough i'd yeah. say and this album wasn't really tough yeah they feel um, they feel the a little restrained for some reason or reined well, in a bit like i know adrian smith leaves after this and uh I know they were having some creative tensions around this time and the albums that are after this are kind of considered like the nadir for mm-hmm. Iron Maiden over time. Um, and they, they lean 
I think even more into some of the tendencies that I see here where they go full on like over the top, right? Thematic. But yeah, the, the concept here is that like the seventh son of a seventh son uh, was like this folk tale that they would have special powers, right? And it could be, they could be good or evil, right? And hmm. um, that's kind of the theme here, right? So like the whole album is basically these tales of, the seventh son of a seventh son and you know him exploring these powers that's the basically the theme of this that's what so we get like the clairvoyant and the prophecy and the evil that men do right and can i play with madness they're all yeah. sort of um you know concepts sometimes it's good sometimes it's evil and you're left to sort of wrestle wrestle with you know in this case was the seventh son of the seventh son good or evil that's the theme it it accomplishes it in its own way but i think storylines and metal albums aren't always what brings me to the dance i'd say in terms of that and, and that's you know where you talk about rush that's a little bit of you know what they tried to do too and sometimes it worked and sometimes it's like eh, you know you guys have read a little bit too much ayn rand in this case it's like you've read maybe a little bit too much folklore um <laughs> yeah. you know with black sabbath it was like alistair crowley you know like it's kind of mm. like i don't know if you need to read this much guys and um yeah, so, yeah, I, I don't know, Matt. Like, I, I know when you were saying, like, oh, it's a, a, a Maiden album. Like, what's the difference? I'm like, this one, I absolutely can see why you'd say it on the two other albums, Number of the Beast and Power Slave, because there was, there was a lot of similar and a lot of kick-ass. They almost felt like like pieces of a double album. And if you throw in Peace of Mind, it's almost like three of them. But this one does not seem to be of the same set as the other ones. This one definitely is an evolution of their sound, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's a, it's a, it's an evolution in a direction that I would want. And, and in my opinion, it takes them a, a little longer to kind of lean back into the classic maiden sound, I think. Um, and there's a reason why when I go to see maiden, they play some of these songs, but they don't, for me, they're not the songs that you're waiting to hear. So um, hmm. in the same way that, you know, certainly the two yeah. albums that we've covered and, and a couple of even that we didn't cover. Um, yeah, there was had, definitely like bigger hits on time, which people hate the album before this had like wasted years and stuff like that, that are songs I, I would want ahead of this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, yes, there were definitely bigger hit that the, the, the bigger hits are on other records. You know, the only one that I knew on here was the, the title track, seventh son of a seventh son. Um, and yeah, no, I see, I, I see what you guys are saying. I guess for me, um, I just, I like so much of what they do and I like the, like if they're going, whether it's a more of a straight ahead, harder, um, more t demonic, like themed song versus like a more of a prog rock, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, going kind of like mythical, you know, Lord of the Rings type theme that some of this stuff might be, I don't care. Like, I just, I like, I like the, the, the melody behind what they do. I like Bruce Dickinson's voice. Um, and I just like a lot of the style that they do. So yes, I, as you guys are talking about it and the differences, yes, I, 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 I can, I can notice that, but I, I, for me, it's not like I'm going, oh man. I mean, it seems like for you guys, this is a, a, a noticeable step down. Whereas for me, I think I, I, I don't know. I, I, I might have to go back and just maybe part of it is I would need to listen to them a little bit more, uh, back to back or not even just back to back, but, but, you know, 
more recently, you know, w compare them to each other rather than just rely yeah. on my memory from what we covered like three or three months ago or whatever. Um, and maybe that would help me, but just my general overall reaction to their records has been like, yeah, this kicks ass. <laughs> like I like, you know, for, um, and so, uh, and, and this didn't really, I, I didn't really, like I said, the only thing that really stood out a little bit is kind of being off, you know, or sounding not really like maiden to me was, uh, can I play with madness? And that just, that seemed like a little bit more of a generic type of song. But other than that, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah. I mean, this was a huge hit in England. They loved this album. It didn't break through as much in America, but in England, yeah. it was it was it's a huge hit. They're dancing so. around Stonehenge over there. That's why. And, That's uh, something like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, too, that it just, this album contrasts with a lot of the other metal that are, is now prevalent in the 80s. You know, we've listened to a good number of Metallica albums at this point and, and Anthrax and, and uh, Slayer, and it's just kind of stark in terms of... Uh, you know how different this sounds is now in the late 80s versus those albums which are much harder and i'm not saying that 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 i i don't like iron maiden anymore as as a result of that it's just it's just noticeable kind of how metal is branching out and and how this just seems a lighter touch and and you know I guess, well, the fantasy element has kind of always been there in metal to one extent or another. You know, when we listen to the Dio, that's definitely got some, like, magic and mm -hmm. and stuff in it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the whole Cthulhu thing and Lovecraft that that's, that's on about. But um, I don't know. This just seems like, like a touch too much of it fantasy-wise to me and stuff. So I don't know. I'm just... I mean, that, that's it's interesting to me that like that 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 the theme would be like the turnoff if like if the music is there and like I mean I get I get it if this is not as um, I, I don't know I don't want to say aggressive but if this I don't know less edgy or it's a little too safe or um, or maybe the synthesizers or is a sound that's kind of throwing you off or maybe the you know seventh son of a seventh son is too proggy um, I guess the themes like I don't know if that would matter to me as much like if the song is is kicking ass then yeah you know what difference does it make what you're saying i mean a lot of metal is either going to be like you said it's going to be that mythical you know tolkien-esque you know type lyric or it's going to be about death right and that's right. that's what <laughs> slayer was about or, or pain and like i mean you get you i guess you got some protest stuff with you know maiden and and, and slayer but the overall the majority of stuff that we hear about is like this like this pain or this you know or these like stories of these mythical creatures or whatever but yeah uh, it's centered around all of it is just you know is 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 the heavy hard nature of aggressive nature of it um you know and and iron maiden is going to sit much much better with me compared to a band like slayer because of just the sonic nature of what they're doing like this just speaks to me way more than like slayer is just like god that's <laughs> that's that is hard for me to uh to listen to um and, and, and really get connected with. So um, this has got melody um, yeah. and that's going to hook me in every time. Yeah. It's kind of been retconned as an album that the critics liked, but in its time, a lot of people did not like it. And a lot of their complaints about it were some of the things that Josh and I were saying that like, it, it's a little too prog rocky. It's a little yeah. too pretentious and stuff and you know, there's one thing it's like accuse them of having regressed into genesis style prog rock from the 70s is what some yeah see right and, up my alley. Say, and Come now on. now this i feel like in the, with matt you, and in the era where people are are talking about steely dan you know what i mean and yacht rock being like you know underrated it's kind of like that's people will hear that as yes awesome that sounds great whereas like that was 
considered one of the worst insults you give a like you know metal album back in the yeah, day so right this yeah. is so what is this is this metal for people who don't like metal is that is it Kerrang, in that Kerrang album said that this would eventually be hailed alongside such past milestones as Tommy, Dark Side of the Moon, and Tubular Bells by Mike Oldfield is what they <laughs> wow. described. And I think that probably summarizes you know, what, yes. what was a little bit of what I was hearing on this. You know, Those like are that. not metal records. So No. No. So, yes. But if it's it's kinda it always has struck me as like this is the, the maiden album, like if you don't like metal that you say, I like this mm. album because this has some stuff I like, not like that loud stuff, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve Harris was, I, I remember, you know, in the research we did on some of those seventies mm-hmm. records, he was big into Prague, you he know, was, to, to Jethro Tull yeah. and uh, in Genesis in particular, yeah. if I'm well, not mistaken. And, and Adrian Smith apparently left the band because with this one and the one before it somewhere in time, which famously is even more sort of Cynthian keyboard driven. Mm-hmm. He did not like that for their next album. He described it as them going a more street level direction and that he thought they were headed in the right direction with these two albums. Mm. Um, and he felt they needed to keep going forward, but it didn't feel like it. So mm. he agrees with you, Matt, that they should have leaned more into the, the prog uh, elements. I just think so. it's I think it's an L. I, I just love I mean, in those two songs, Infinite Dreams and Seventh Son, they're just I just. Yeah, I think it's such such a cool way to incorporate you know, the two different kind of genres together to make its own thing. So, uh, yeah. but I get it, right? Like, yeah, I mean, if you're a Slayer fan, this is a, it, not all metal is created the same, right? It's, right, you're, right. You're, there, and that's why all the different offshoots, the thrash and the death metal and, you know, the prog metal and whatnot. So it's, it's like its own genre, but then it branches off just like everything else does. But, um, but yeah, for me and my, my, my sonic palette, uh, this is, this is the type of metal. This is, you know, these guys in Metallica probably would be my favorite metal artists of sure. all time. I would say, you know, um, for and they're and they don't sound exactly like, but they both have melody. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that is a key component, I guess, for me. Um, yeah. And they're both kind of proggy too. Like some of those Metallica songs were, were kind of proggy as well. So um, some similarities there, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a thin line between what's prog and what's metal. You can easily step over or cross over into the other. If you, if you go well, too even far. when, and even with like Genesis and Ru- like Genesis, I mean, Rush obviously has some metal elements, and, but Genesis, like some of the stuff that Steve Hackett was doing, like the hammering on the guitar and stuff, like the finger, the, the, the finger um, tapping on that. I mean, that's, that's a, that's kind of a, a, a you know, its own, you know, el- early elements of metal, you know, the, the, the style of play for some of the guitar parts that he did, but I, they're not a metal band, you know, but they, yeah. but there were some elements of it incorporated in some of their songs. Okay. Yep. So I think Matt gives it a thumbs up for sure. Um, Josh, would you say it sounded like a thumbs in the middle for you? Yep. Yeah. Thumbs in the middle. And I give this one a slight thumbs down, I think, in terms of my preferences. Which, John, would you say you, this if is... If you'd said you, to me 10 years ago that I would be giving an Iron Maiden album. <laughs> I know, right? Down, you guys would be giving a thumbs up. It's kind of remarkable. So. so so, this is ranked third on best ever albums. So that's definitely not, you would probably say peace of mind. I can or... think of six Iron Maiden albums. I like better than this album off the top okay. of my head. I like both of the two albums, pre Bruce Dickinson killers and the self-titled better than this. I like peace of mind, power slave and number of the beast better than this. And I, I like the comeback album in the nineties when Adrian Smith comes back. Fear um, of the dark. 
Well, I, uh, I I might like Fear of the Dark better than this. Mm, okay. uh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I uh, there's the mid two. There's an album from like around 2005. Um, yep. that I like. Uh, I like that, that one has too. the yeah the black. It's the black cover. A matter of like life a and death. Bone, yep. Matter of life mm-hmm. and death. There you go. I like that one better That's than this 06, one. That's yep. so, mm-hmm. so yeah, they, got, they have 17 albums. So <laughs> <laughs> something for everyone. So yeah, yeah so this is I, this is overrated in your book, you would say. Yeah, I even like. Um, uh, yeah, I even like uh, a brave new world was the one I think where um, uh, Adrian came back. I I like that one um, yeah. a fair amount too. So yeah, there's there's quite a few. So I, I probably need might to be even all those. than six. I think it might be like eight or nine. Wow. Uh, okay. In terms of yeah. Mm-hmm. But the albums after this, the next two are not good. <laughs> they're, okay. they're very much not good. So if you want to, you want to, the next two in particular, I remember before I read any critiques of Iron Maiden, right? Like I remember listening to them in order and I remember going, ooh, like is this, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, and then you listen to them later and you're like, oh, they kind of got it back. But like there's a couple where it's, it's a, a little bit rough. Uh, yeah. The one in the early 90s. Um, no prayer for the dying. Uh, no prayer for the dying is not good. There's like uh, future real. I think is one of them. Is that uh, what's it? Not seen future, that. One. Is it Fear of the dark. Real or uh, what's the, the X factor and virtual eleven? Future oh. reels on virtual eleven. There you go. That one. Yeah, that's uh, hit and miss. I'd say. Um, I think that's the one that has the Klansman, which is a good song. But there's there there's always a couple gems. But yeah. Anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole. But I will say I did like their last two records. I thought like Senjutsu from 2021 and The yeah. Book of Souls. I thought those were good. The Book of Souls like, was good, yeah. 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 So. Yeah, they've always got some pretty good stuff. And like I said, even when they go down, down, it's not like unlistenable down. It's just that uh, that's not as good. So Right, comparatively. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay. So now we go to Sinead O'Connor, um, who we have not covered. Um, we have not and yeah and it's the only 1987 album as well and josh gets the first take and first though matt's going to give us some numbers so the lion and the cobra by sinead o'connor comes into number 254 in the 1980s on best ever albums number 33 in 1987 number 1617 of all time it's sinead o'connor's second highest rated album behind 1990s i do not want what i haven't got um and it's she's this album did not make Rolling Stones list, and Sinead O'Connor is ranked number five seventy five of overall artist rankings on best ever albums. So uh, I only know Sinead O'Connor fr- from kind of like the SNL burning, of ripping up the Pope picture, um, and nothing compares to you. I think those are my two like touch points for for her as an artist and like personality. So I think as a result, I kind of always thought that she's like a like a serious artist quote unquote and like makes serious music and um i I was uh sadly or i was greatly mistaken (laughs) after listening to this album about how wrong i was on my perception of her um uh, i love this album i uh it it's it was shocking to me how um listening to it because it was just so kind of knocked me off my feet and caught me by surprise. She has such a, um, a power and range to her voice and she's kind of, she goes from, from breathy and kind of hushed, uh, singing to kind of making, uh, 
different yells and wails and um, singing, you know, full on. And there's a um, just just a real um, interesting sound to her. She's definitely a kindred spirit to me to like Kate Bush in terms of her her um, artistry or creativity in her music. Um, and she, you know, this album has a lot of different um, sounds and things going on in it. You know, she's got some kind of more upbeat pop songs like uh, Mandinka, which is like straight up, you know, got some hard rocking guitar and kind of an upbeat tempo to it. And um, and then she kind of goes spoken word at times with something like Never Gets Old, where where it's, uh, you know, just her saying stuff. And then there's like wailing at the end and chanting in it. And she also, you know, can go to like, it's almost like a dance track on something like I want your hands on me, which is also, you know, obviously like, you know, a, a sexual like desire song. And, um, and she has like ballads and, and, uh, kind of story songs as well. Um, the first one is about, you know, somebody, a lover lost at sea that's going to come back. And, um, there's a lot of different, every song kind of sounds different but is also uniquely her. And I really responded to that. Um, there, This is another album that doesn't really sound like the 80s at this time too, which is another thing that's kind of like Kate Bush-like is that it's really kind of uniquely her sound, I found, while also being able to um, kind of play in the different genres. Um and genre is not really the right word. It's just kind of different tones or different um, feelings in each of the songs. Um, there's, um, yeah, I just I just really like this album, and it was one that I immediately wanted to listen to again, and it um, is this is her first album, right? Um, her debut album yep. or yeah so debut. this is like a, a really strong debut as well in my opinion and i could see um there is a i guess too there is kind of like a a you know irishness slight irishness to her to her sound or to her to her um vibe but it's not really like celtic i don't get that too much of that sort of um thing so it's just uh yeah just a really compelling like uh, there's it, it's a little ethereal at times and i'm throwing out a lot of adjectives but um it just was an album that mainly her voice and sound really impressed me and um it was just a captivating listen and it so big thumbs up for me gonna be very highly rated at the end of the decade yeah, I, I love this album. I, I knew a lot of the songs on this album, but I don't think I've ever listened to this album all the way through. But I, I Mandinka, Jerusalem, Troy, um, Drink Before the War, those are all songs that um, I can remember listening to. Like, I got a college radio station um, out of Seton Hall when I was growing up, and hmm. I really attribute that radio station with taking my taste from you know, stuff I still love, right? But more pop oriented and mainstream to like introducing me to stuff that I was processing, if not quite processing as being as edgy or indie as it was, right? And I think some of it is because you listen to songs like 
you know, Mandinka, and they're like excellent, like mainstream pop songs, but right. they're also very much indie songs. I, I know you mentioned Kate Bush, and I definitely hear where you're going with that, Josh. Uh, I think the thing that strikes me is there's an alternate timeline where like Sinead O'Connor is like a massive, massive star, but I, I kind of always have found her to be a very, um, like in some ways a tragic figure, but also the last thing I think she would ever want is to sort of be pitied. Um, because, you know, the thing that most people know about Sinead O'Connor is like two things, right? That she's saying nothing compares to you, which I feel like you have to arbitrarily now say, you know, Prince wrote that song. You know what I mean? <laughs> to kind of do that. And the other is that, you know, she tore up the picture of the Pope um, yep. on Saturday Night Live, and, which I'd like to point out, by the way, she was completely right about. So, like, you know, I just chuckle at, like, how it, you know, killed her career, even though she was a thousand percent right. And the balls yeah. it took to do that was pretty freaking remarkable and yeah i don't usually say controversial things but you know what like you know shine on Sinead because in ireland in particular it was particularly galling and that is sort of the what she is right like she yeah. speaks truth to power and i mean she is a like at this time she's a a gorgeous woman right but she chooses to shave her head and basically right. dress in shapeless clothes right like and completely intentionally and she was very aware of her image i mean even when she surfaced recently i remember she surfaced kind of like 10 years ago kind of telling miley cyrus to be careful about the music industry and kind of you know miley cyrus made fun of her a little bit and everybody's like oh look at Sinead O'Connor. but like the intentions were pure you know what i mean it just kind of just there was a lot mixed in and so there's a part of me that's always because like when you listen to this album you're like holy cow like there's like a huge pop star here um yeah. and you know she did have a i, I don't want to uh, you know minimize that she you know there are multiple hits on this album and obviously um you know her next album is gigantic in terms of both sales and the single uh but the other thing that you hear with this is what a debt so many like 90s singer songwriter females owe to her mm -hmm. i mean alanis morissette liz fair i mean all of these people you know what i mean these are you know, you listen to this album and you're like, oh my God, like I, you know, you put an immediate line, right, to those type of conventional songwriters. I, I think she, at times, you know, she's jumping genres here so it doesn't pop out to you as much because like, I want your hands on me. It's like a mainstream dance song, right? right? And, uh, and like you said, Josh, there's some that's almost spoken word. Uh, you know, Troy is this very well-written song that seems like a love song but she has said it's about her mother um which is interesting because it's this very passionate song um it's almost like a precursor to like nothing compares to you in terms mm -hmm. of like the, the the stark emotion of it but uh there's a there's a femininity to this album but there's a femininity that bounces between vulnerable and volatile right but also like protective of your sexuality and like explicit in your sexuality and that's where i think it's sort of you know what caught people's attention with like you ought to know right like alanis yeah. morissette that it's like hey here's this female but she's also you know writing this song with these explicit lyrics or like what shocked people so much about like liz fair right in exile and guyville and mm -hmm. you know there's there's elements kind of of what like pj harvey was right like this person who was sort of androgynous but also could like 
be ridiculously sexy, you know, in like a feminine way and well, even, hard yeah. rocking, but also vulnerable. Like there are, you know, there's more examples Fiona you Apple have. too, I would say. T- Tori Amos, yeah. Fiona Apple. Like there's, there's just a lot of these folks coming in the nineties and really, you know, we've just started to open the gate up a little bit, right. To predecessors of the different types of like, and I don't like to niche female singers into these things, but you know, like Natalie Merchant kind of was what one was looking like, right? And you know, and like Sinead O'Connor was kind of like what another was. And you know, we're bringing in sort of these this space again. And and we mentioned, uh, I think during the Ten Thousand Million Ones, there was like a period in the early '80s where there just was not really like female singer songwriters as much as there was. They were going for like mainstream true pop success right uh or they were singing standards right but they there was not sort of that like definitively feminine um woman speaking to women you know type of music you know that's there it kind of fell out of vogue for a while and now we're starting to see it like really kick its way back in and and create a presence and and i haven't even mentioned that while it's not like this you know, this is going to lead into things like Riot Girl and stuff too, right? In the early '90s, which is going to be like an unabashedly, you know, female genre, right? Mm-hmm. Like females, you know, writing songs for other females, and you know, you take that Riot Girl sound and you extrapolate it out to like later, right? Like, you know, because we're going to do the Indigo Girls who are coming up soon too, right? And that's yep. another lane of where we're going with this type of sound. But yeah, Fiona Apple, you mentioned. I actually think in some ways Fiona Apple is the continuation kind of of the Sinead O'Connor um, presence. But but there's there's been a lane for a lot more women with that, like uh, Erica Badu, right? Like Lauren Hill, you know, right? Kind of have that combative thing yeah. where they're these beautiful women, right? But they fight against that idea of being pigeonholed and they're often sort of uh, portrayed, right? As being not well, right? Or aggressive, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a lot, you know, a lot, those two, Fiona Apple, Sinead O'Connor, they're always there. But to some degree, I think that's kind of them rejecting, you know, the idea of like being neatly placed in a box. And this album, not just in terms of her persona, but also just jumping around to all of these musical styles really um, is a good example of that. And and her voice is remarkable, like remarkable, remarkable, great voice, um, really um, really just compelling draws you in, at least for me. And Josh, it sounds like it hits you in that same way where it's yeah. like stand up and take notice type um, compelling. So, but yeah. Matt, I don't want to take your entire lane, but yeah, that, this one's a strong thumbs up for me as well. Yeah. So any, um, any notion, cause I know this has been said in the past or like hinted at like, Oh, you know, maybe sing female singer songwriters don't connect with me as much as maybe they do with other people like should be dispelled with this record. Cause this album is freaking awesome. Like this is so, I was so surprised with this album. You found um, it, Matt. Here's, I, the, here's I, the one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm with you, Josh, like my touchstones with Sinead O'Connor, basically those two things as well. Never really, you know, yeah, never thought to explore her. I think when I saw that this album was coming up, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> like, and so, and so it's just one of those examples of how a preconceived notion can totally, 
you know, um, it will a be wrong, but also yeah. b make you just do a one eighty fairly quickly, and then make you realize how great of an album you're actually listening to, and then be even more into it because you're so surprised by how good it is. And the more you listen to it, the more, you know, um, intricacies you can see. The variety here is just fantastic. You know, it's like each song is like a different. It's just a, doing a totally different thing, and it just. But at the same time, it all flows really well together. Um, not a bad song on here. Really interesting stuff happening musically. Her voice absolutely sounds great, um, and uh, it's just. It, it was just a, a really interesting listen. There's a, a lot of touch points. You guys like hit some of them. Um, one of the first that I thought of was, uh, you know hearing her voice reminded me a lot of Susie Sue um, and, and what she was doing. And then again, and this is the other, one of the other cool things about kind of doing what we're doing is that, you know, we heard that album, the Susie and the Banshees album, Juju, like, I don't know, last year, <laughs> you know, it's so long ago. That was an early eighties record. And, um, and then when you hear another album come out that, you know, many years later that you're like, Oh yeah, this is where they're, they're picking this up from Lori Anderson's on here as well. You know, there's a very, you know, that, what does it never get old? You know, that, I think that's the song, um, where it's just like, it's yeah. very, that's just the, ah, ah, ah. Mm-hmm. like that I was like, that's Lori Anderson. Is that Lori? You know, um, and then it goes into this thing that then it stops that does that for a couple minutes and then it goes into this thing that sounds like not vocally but musically sounds like something Radiohead would do, you know. Um, and uh, you know, there's ab- absolutely Kate Bush, you know, is in here as well. Um, sometimes her voice sounds a little like Tanya Donnelly from Belly. You know, there's the, or there's like the Belly kind of thing, and that, that's a band that came later on. But yeah, there's this is definitely foreshadowing some of the stuff that's coming later. Um, I'm hearing The Cure in here. I'm hearing Enya in here. It, it's just so Prince. You know that what is it? I want your hands on me. Is like got that Prince funk guitar. You know, oh, kind of thing it's happening. Like a Prince song right out of Central Casting. Yeah, yeah. It could, right. Yeah. So then you're like, oh, that's then. Yeah, that makes sense that they would kind of connect later on and uh i guess that they had some beef though that something came out of that that wasn't they weren't really friendly after nothing compares to you which is sad but um i heard katie pearson b52s like some of her vocals sound sounded similar here so i'm just a lot of all this hodgepodge of like other things that we've done and stuff that would still come down the road really coming in in together but man just really interesting stuff indie rock for sure i mean you know jackie don't just call me joe is a really interesting way to end this record these they, they're these songs with these distorted guitars you know that are that are happening and it's not really going much beyond that, but it's it's just a it's a cool sound. The tone and the distortion that she's getting with the guitar there's, you know, really interesting. Just I, I, a lot of great choices here. It must have been really interesting, kind of, you know, to be a fly on the wall as this record's being put together, or just you know being there in the conversations that are happening between probably, you know, O'Con- Sinead O'Connor and whoever who produced this. This was produced by uh, Sinead O'Connor and Ke- a guy named Kevin Maloney. Um, who I'm not sure who is, uh, but he, he actually wrote "Don't Call Me Joe" as well. Um, so, uh, so it just would have been really interesting to hear those conversations and let's throw this in there, let's do that, you know, because there's definitely some stuff happening studio-wise in here as well. But Troy was a great song. Jerusalem was a great song. Drink Before the War might be my favorite song on this. I just love that the way that that builds and her voice just sounds They're so great. All- She's just it's so good 
What's all that? All three of those songs are remarkably good lyrically too. They're yeah. really strong lyrically. Yeah. And I know that's not your thing, but like I, I feel like you know the the music is suitably epic to the mm-hmm. the epic in the sense of not like over the top, but like just caresses it and even if you're not listening to the lyrics like you may not have matt like yep i think it evokes what the song is about like it doesn't take much to realize that like troy right is about like the loss or even death of a relationship right like it just sounds like it you know yeah yeah it's yeah it's just it it blew me away. I was I had no idea, you know, like some of these artists, like Sinead O'Connor, Katie Lang, artists you've heard of for so many years, and uh, you're like, oh, okay. And you like, there's assumptions that you have for whatever reason. You're just like, ah, I just never, you know, when they came out, I was listening, you know, this is 1988, 87, like, you know, Appetite for Destruction's out, and I'm still into hair metal and, you know, yeah. whatever. And so that's kind of the, that's where I'm, that's what I'm into. And when I hear, oh, Sinead O'Connor, whatever, you know, so there's no, there was no reason for me to, you know, explore this or, or get hooked into it. But um, so another reason why what we're doing is pretty cool. But yeah, this is, this is good stuff, man. Big thumbs up. Very, very yeah. impressed with this record. Me too. There, and there, I do want to admit, go ahead. I'm sorry, Josh, you go I was going to say there, there was a documentary that came out last year called nothing compares about, um, about her and kind of, you know, her, all of the con quote unquote controversy and how the media portrayed her and basically just about her career as well. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I, um, I'm going to watch it soon, so I will report back. But I added it to the coming the stacks movie list as well. Um, hmm. It's on Showtime yeah, also if you have that. Well, and a couple other things to know: at you uh, you mentioned Enya, Matt. Actually, um, never gets old starts with her. Uh, Enya's doing yeah. Psalm ninety one, so which I thought was interesting. Yeah, um, I saw that. Yeah, and uh, but that's not even like there was. I forget what song it was, but I remember listening. I'm like, man, there's like a little bit of that Enya, that ethereal kind of, mm-hmm. you know, mood setting um, type sound. Um, yeah, I, I think it. Um, it's funny too because like how young she was when she did this, and how you know fully formed she came, like both as a, her influences, but also her own thing. And, and listening to it in context is kind of remarkable too. But I, I did saw see the funny quote where. They asked her about the album and she said, like, I'm really proud of them, she said of the songs and her reluctance to perform them. For a little girl to have written some of these songs, I wrote my songs as therapy, if you like, but I don't go back to it. I don't want to go there emotionally. I haven't paid all this money for therapy for fucking nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I mean, the theme on this is intense. You know, it is an intense album in some ways. There's joy in it, but it's intense. Oh, for sure. uh, Yeah, and she was, yeah. yeah, she was, looks like she was about 20. When she did this, which mm-hmm. again, that's like, yeah, very. Young. I, what the? What were we doing at twenty? Certainly not well, this. I mean, just the the uh, like the emotional, yeah, resonance. You know, I just I I wish I was that emotionally complex. Well, you maybe know what, I though, don't like, wish I was that emotionally. I, that's complex. what I was just gonna say. I yeah. think I, I read a little bit about her childhood, and it's. It, I don't think you want any part of that. You know what I mean? So like, oh yeah, I know. She and her mother know. notably had like a, and I know that a lot of her, like a lot, of, I like a lot of the Irish, you know, women yeah. who, you know, the, you know, Dolores O'Riordan, right? Of the Cranberries had sort of a Ooh. similar type deal, like, you know, some abuse and challenges with the Catholic church and the themes of war, right? Or, yeah. I mean, and you know, um, my roots are part Irish and I might be a little biased, but boy, the Irish can tell a story, man. That's one thing that's a part of the genre, right? Like, uh, yeah. of, or the, or the, 
ethnicity, I guess, is that storytelling gene. So, well, and it speaks um, to like if you you know if you grow up with a lot of challenge, a lot of pain, a lot of you know trauma and stuff like that, you know that's. <laughs> that's where that, that passion, that energy, that emotion kind of comes out in your art, you know, and that's, that's one of the many reasons why I would never be a, a, a you know, a good artist is because I had a way too stable of an upper, like, what do I, what am I going to write about? You know, <laughs> I don't even like words, you know, My album so, will be norm core, so. <laughs> <laughs> bore core. <laughs> I got nothing to yeah. say. So, um, yeah, but this there's is, some good guitar lines on this album too. Oh, I'd like to point just, out. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, that's like, like the orchestra. We've mentioned the, a lot about just Sinead O'Connor, but the musical accompaniment yeah. on this album arrangements is, is the, excellent. Yep, the orc. There's orchestration here. Yeah, it's just it's it's cool ass music, man. Um, mm-hmm. Well done. Yep, strong thumbs up for me on this yep. one. Same. And that that takes us to our final album of the evening, Fishbone, which should be an interesting one because i know that fishbone is often used in shorthand by matt for different things so we'll see if maybe they were able to win him over but i get first take but matt first run the numbers matt are you there goodbye are you like back matt listening. yeah yeah okay gotcha welcome okay so truth and soul by fishbone comes in at number 1001 i'm sorry 1448 in the 1980s on best ever albums number 153 in 1988 number 9837 of all time it is fishbone's highest rated album on best ever albums uh again not making rolling stones list rolling stone no love for cts tonight um for our albums and um Fishbone is ranked at number 3,199 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. Got it. Well, um, we've the word of the night has been eclectic in some ways for <laughs> yes, the albums that we've covered. Sure has. And this is no no different in this one. This is this is a funk album. This is a hard rock album. This is a ska album at times. This is a punk rock album at times. Uh, it is a metal album at times, and sometimes it's all of those things within the course of the same song. Like now, some you can clearly say this is of that genre, right? Like Ma and Pa is primarily yeah. a ska song, right? And you know, there's different songs. There's a political edge uh, to songs, as you would expect from an album with a song called Subliminal Fascism in it. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know. Uh, the song Ghetto Soundwave seems to be kind of a throwback to that 70s sort of Afrocentric, right? Like funk music mm-hmm. uh, that I think was a huge influence on the band. Um, I know that they came sort of out of the embers. If I remember a little bit of the Fishbone story, like they were sort of brought together as as kind of like a like a party band kind of. Um, and they sort of all met each other in high school and all had different interests in music. And it was like, what if you took like a bunch of people together and threw them there? And then they sort of kind of like bad brains, right? They were like, we do all these styles, but that DIY punk energy is kind of what we're looking for, right? So you take yep. that and, and it's always hard for me to not connect them to the Chili Peppers, right? Who they were both friends with and contemporaries of, right? So what they're doing here is a, a lot of what the Chili Peppers were also doing in the 80s, albeit with maybe a little bit stronger lean into the funk, right? And the hard rock as opposed to sort of the ska and punk maybe more, mm-hmm. which is a little bit there. 
Um, so to me, Fishbone is kind of hard to pin down in terms of what they are because they're a little bit of everything. Um, but I think as time goes on, um, they've sort of been remembered as, as I think more of a ska band than, than maybe they were in terms of all of their tracks. Um, like I always thought of them as like a funk band with like ska elements. Right. And, and, but like the guitars was the other thing. Um, I always thought of a fishbone. There's like really good, uh, guitar parts and that they had that interesting mix of like having a political bend, but also like party music. And in that case, it's sort of like, you know, the funk of the seventies, like a sly stone, right. Like kind of mm-hmm. walk that line, but, but also a little bit of like what reggae was, you know, like, you know, at times it could be like get together music, good vibes, uplifting, but also could be talking about, you know, um, you know, strife and difficult situations now the difference of course is obvious and that the reggae you know plays to like a more chilled out effect whereas no one would really ever call fishbone chilled out at all right they kind of are like frantic energy i mean for mm-hmm. god's sakes that a song called party at ground zero right like right. is the kind of the song that broke them out but yeah i i think for those that that might have some semblance of Fishbone, you know, Party at Ground Zero is not on this one, but that might be the song you know. But like Bonin in the Boneyard and Ma and Pa and Freddy's Dead are probably like songs two through four or one through four, you know, in that group of songs that people might know. Mm-hmm. And um, yep, yeah, they're all great songs. Um, they're the standout for me is just how tight the group is while also having like a wild freewheeling energy which i know sounds oxymoronic but that's kind of what's cool about them like at times it feels like it's all broken down and been you know like just like a party's breaking out around you or like a a burst of energy and then it and then they kind of go into sort of like really cohesive structured music at times with really well put together bass lines and guitar parts and traditional singing that at times almost sounds like soul music and you're bouncing between it and they kind of keep you on your toes. And, and I love that about, about this album. And so I really enjoy this album. Um, once again, I've, I, I don't want to keep saying this cause you can just assume it, but like, I want to open it up to you guys uh, and then kind of bounce off of it down the road. So I think Josh has the second take. Yep. Yeah, so I knew Fishbone, A, from Party at Ground Zero, and B, I've seen them live before. Um, And my Fishbone story is at that concert. It was at a small venue in Wilmington during my college years, and uh, I saw a guy get a bottle broken over his head, which was like the craziest thing (laughs) I had ever seen. (laughs) Like there's blood everywhere and the guy got carried out. And so I don't know what it is about Fishbone's music or maybe just the alcohol that night, but that was a crazy uh, early experience for me. And so, yeah, the thing about Fishbone is you're right, is there's such like a a melting pot of sounds and they're able to combine them um, in their songs and uh it works um i always i think i've always de facto kind of associated them as a ska band but they're really not because they're definitely like more funk and um i would say like soul and and probably punk adjacent too um but i would say primarily funk i think that's kind of the core um they've got some really great bass lines in here um the horns are always um kind of another standout um for them and 
they appear throughout as well. But they they have this ability to kind of similar to what you said, John. It seems like they kind of go wild at times and like and spiral out, and then they're able to really come back together and play tightly. Um, they're like a rubber band. They get really stretched out, and then they snap back into place That's on their songs. That's a great analogy, Josh. That's um, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's it's remarkable how well they do that too, because uh, that applies to the genres that they put in their songs as well. They'll they'll have a funk core, but then they'll like add these punk elements or or some like crazy horn section and um, or like really fast like electric guitar um, in it and. It all works for them. Um, the first song on this album, Freddy's Dead, I was listening to it before I looked at it. It was like, man, this sounds like Curtis Mayfield. And then like, it was, I was like, oh, yeah, it is a Curtis Mayfield song. So, um, and, uh, so yeah, they start off with a cover, but then it seems, I think it's all um, originals after that. And um, I just really love their energy. They, um, I love their, you know, the other thing like you said is kind of their political stance and I feel like that comes through um in here and they're not afraid to to comment on all sorts of issues and um all of the songs on here are really enjoyable I can see why this is probably one of their higher rated albums um it's a really strong um, representation of who they are I think and um, the fun that they bring but also kind of the edge that they bring and they really kind of know some parts of other bands sound like them, but there's really kind of like no other band that's that fuses things in the way that they do. They're kind of unique in that way. Um, and so, yeah, as a result, I really enjoyed this album. It's fun to listen to. And um, I think you can, people, you can get a lot out of, out of this album. I would go so far as to say that like, Ma and Pa is like if there was ever going to be a ska song that Matt actually might like, that's it's probably that song. It's like say. if not, then there's no songs Matt will ever <laughs> this like. Is that the are closest ska, thing it's you basically would get. a ska song made for people that don't like ska. <laughs> is how I describe that song. So yeah. So uh, my fishbone story is I saw them in college as well. Oh, uh, my freshman year in college, they came and they were, it was a triple bill. <laughs> What's that? They're everywhere. They, they are. Yes. Uh, in nineteen in, what is it? 1996. They were this probably. I have seen fishbone, but not in college just for, for to fill, <laughs> okay. square the circle there. Yeah. yeah. So this is one of the first, this is freshman year. Yeah. This is probably fall of 96. And, uh, and they also, there was a triple bill. It was them, mighty, mighty Boston's and De La Soul. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, so, which wow, what I know bill. for, <laughs> what's that? That's a great bill. I said, what a yeah. bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, at, at, which was a reaction of a lot of people that I went to college with and people that I've told this story to before that like, you know, oh my God, that's so awesome. But for, for Matt and, you know, freshman year college Matt, this was not the show that I would have chosen to go to. This is the show, the show that was just, I went to because that's what was happening. So yeah. um, it was, I remember being like, that was just the first time I ever heard of ska too, by the way, because I never knew what ska was growing up. Wow. And so when I got there and people were like, oh, we're going to, we're going to skank. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so I didn't know anything about the dancing or like any, you know, I like I, I heard of De La Soul before. I knew the Mighty Mighty Bostones from the, you know, knocking on wood song. It was the, the impression that I get. Yeah. 
I didn't really know anything about Fishbone, and I remember not liking Fishbone at all. I remember that they were they were they were crazy on stage, you know, and they had like these antics and stuff, but musically yeah. it just did nothing for me. So going into this record, I was I was not expecting much. And I was pleasantly surprised with how much I did like this. I, I did like Ma and Pa. I pretty much liked every song on this record to one extent or another, yeah. with the exception of probably the two shortest songs, which are kind of a little bit more like maybe the more punk. I, I hesitate to call them hardcore, but like the, 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 the faster songs that just didn't really do much for me, which were uh, Deep Inside and um, subliminal fascism i think that those are the ones that were like kind of duds for me falling a little flat but other mm -hmm. than that you know i kind of agree with a lot of the things that you guys have said already um this is just a another album that's just throwing all kinds of stuff together we're getting a lot of that tonight in different ways i think you know yeah. I, I think that you know the katie lang album's very much like that the the the, the sinead o'connor certainly this one um you know just but in, in like i said in different ways and um, chili peppers absolutely stand out. There's like sublime. I was feeling a little sublime in here too, because uh, even though not every For song sure. on here yep. is, is, is ska, right. But the ones that were ska, like Mon Pa, maybe question of life. What were the other, what were the, what would you say the other more ska? I mean, those are the songs that are, here? that are more explicitly right. like, yeah. the ones you just yeah. mentioned. Others have like occasionally like, a, you know, like, a. You know, like an element for a couple seconds, right? Right, yeah, but I it's not. Really yeah, so I was, yeah. so I was happy with that, right? And Ma and Pa, I just, I laughed at the chorus. It's just a great, hey, yeah. Ma and Pa, what the hell is wrong with ya? <laughs> like it just had, for something about that, just made me kind of chuckle or whatever. And I, and um, it is very much a Scott song. It's got the, you know, the off the upbeat. Um, you know, kind of the, the offbeat kind of a thing happening as well as like the horns and stuff like that. But I, I was fine with it. I was like, okay, I can like this. And then, you know, I, I guess I like my ska in small doses, but, um, bone in the boneyard was great. That was just a real, <laughs> I was like, here, I was like, got this feeling. It's just very upbeat, very catchy, very, you know, um, easy to get into. And, um, yeah, I was like, it is, I found the song like "Pouring Rain" very interesting. Is that, is that what what is that? It's not reggae. Is it rock steady? There's, I I don't know how you would just what what the what that genre is, but there was something kind of standing out to me with that particular song, the way that that was being done, and I was like, yeah, that seems like it's it's kind of in the genre, or the lane of like a, a of a of a uh, reggae, but it's not yeah. quite yeah. that. It's um, slower. It's kind of what I mean, they do that. There's yeah. like reggae elements, but right. it's not. I don't think it is anything. It's okay. like got five different elements of, yeah, yeah. Like, like reggae, rock steady, right. you know, soul at times, like the way they're singing, yeah. right? Like, it's yeah. just so eclectic and it's so interesting, you know? And then they close out this, the album with Change, which sounds like it came off of a Blind Melon album, you know? <laughs> just like it is Shannon Hoon with, a, with an acoustic guitar kind of a thing, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was very much interested. I, I, I don't, this did not, it's not like I had to listen to this and go, I don't know what to make of this. Even though there's a lot of stuff going on, I, 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 at no point was I confused by what was happening, which I think with an album like this could be very yeah. susceptible to something like that. Um, you know what I wrote down for change, by the way, Matt, that you might what? laugh at? It sounds like a solo Paul McCartney song. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's like this innocuous kind of – it's fine, right? It's good, but it definitely stands out as kind of like this – it doesn't – it's – like a little bit of a you know an outlier with this but it's still it's a nice it's a nice kind of guitar driven song but it doesn't there's not really any edge to it it's a very you know it's more of a simple song but um 
But I think, yeah, I was just, I was pleasantly surprised. I was kind of like not expecting much, maybe even expecting to to dislike it outright. And I did, I, I can't say that at all. Um, and I, I, I mean, having said all that, it's, it's, it's definitely a thumbs up for me. It's, I, it's not going to crack. I don't, I don't think I like it so much where it's cracking my, my top of the decade, but is as far as just um an overall level of enjoyment yeah it's certainly up there i could see myself playing this again at some point and having a little bit more of an affinity a little bit more of an, a, a positive association with 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 fishbone than i did with that for that night in 1996 i don't know how many of the songs here that they played they played that night or what actually i could probably look up that set list nowadays with the internet yeah. right there's probably the, that set list could exist out there somewhere but that you couldn't have heard impression that i get at that show either because that didn't come out to like 97 i don't think right Oh, is that? Oh, really? That could be true. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but I thought it was a little later than 96. I don't know. I want to look that up. Someday, I suppose, is what you're thinking of or something. That's the other one. Well, that that's I mean, that's the impression that I get was the song that was very much like that was the that was a big hit. 97. Yeah. So that wasn't out yet. Okay. Released in February of 97. Questioning everything now. Yeah. When you said 96 right there, I'm like, well, they wouldn't have had. I am. I am. I mean, I started college. I started. Yeah, I started college in the fall of 96, and I, so I I remember that show being early. The first show I ever saw at my school was Dog's Eye View. So uh, a bonus <laughs> oh, points gosh. to anybody that could, like, name the song that they were popular Everything for. But, falls yeah, that, those guys. Those guys. get to throw it back together and yep. it falls. That was like oh, right when terrible. that song was at its yeah. at its zenith was when they came to my school. That. <laughs> I wasn't a big yeah. fan of that show either, yeah. but uh, Oof, but so I, I guess maybe if that if I saw them in the in the spring, then that song would have just come out. But anyway, um, yeah. so I, I I and the bottom line there, I wasn't a day lost soul. I remember thinking, oh, they're pretty good, like you know, but I didn't really know any of their songs. wasn't that into it. But uh, so now I have a more of a positive association with Fishbone. Um, this it's what's Def Leppard coming on stage? Is what? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what. I, well, yeah. Adrenalize, I was starting to lose it there. I probably would have rather had Matthew Sweet or something like that at that time in 96, you know, but um, that was more of my, uh, my power pop, you know, kind of, you know, Beach Boys, you know, Beatles callback, you know, 90s alt rock guys. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I got to go thumbs up here. This was a, I'm glad that I have a new impression of, of, or thought uh, thoughts on, on Fishbone. And yeah, man, these guys are all over the place. They're crazy. So this, I, I almost wish I could have that show back and like, try to, you know, with my expanded, you know, um, musical tastes, uh, with me and, and maybe kind of enjoy that. Cause I do, what I do remember is that those, they were nuts on stage and there was like, there were these women that were like, had these crazy costumes on. It was like, it was a show. It was a legit yeah. show, you know? Um, so I do remember going, well, they're, they're good performers. I just don't dig the music. So, um, but maybe so, I would like it now. So thumbs up. Josh, did, did you ever think you'd see an era where Matt would give, an Iron Maiden album, a Fishbone <laughs> album, and a female singer-songwriter, like all thumbs ups, yeah. back to back to back. It's it's you know, and they it's like the Rocky Four speech the, at the end. If it's I the could power change, of the stacks. You could change. I I am growing so much because of CTS. Maybe where'd you go from the Mighty Might? That was on Clue- the Clueless soundtrack. I bet they played that too. Yeah, or someday I suppose is another yeah. song that was pretty big from that. That yeah. that's, that's yeah. still a band that I never really got. I never really cared. We're too covered much them for. in the '90s, Matt. So yeah. well, guess what? I'll get a chance. I would I would say the one other band that I want to reference 
in regards mm-hmm. to Fishbone would be like Funkadelic. I think there's definitely like a through line yeah. in terms yeah. of their vibe, but also kind of the performative aspect of of them as a band um, and, and the funk kind of underpinnings to them. So if you like Funkadelic, they don't really have the space funk, but they have no. sort of that like zaniness that like. Yep. They, yeah, there's a humor. Zany. There's a humor in their lyrics and in some of their songs we, as well. Are we covering Living Color at all? No. no? I was trying Would to think. Like they, to cover them? <laughs> I, I'm not. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm trying to think of like because they they had, you know. Um, Josh gets sick had, in a couple weeks, so Matt can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I remember they kind of they they seemed like they were kind of like genre. You know, not probably not as much as these guys. I don't remember that, but they definitely were. were no, kind they were of more like, straight ahead rock and roll. Yeah. Like, Rolling Stones influenced. Oh, were they? Would be yeah. Would how I say they were. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, Cult of Personality. That's the that's their main song, and that was kind of like. Oh yeah. That was more straightforward, but anyway, yeah. Good stuff. Thumbs up for Matt. The best ska album he's ever listened to is what I heard. That's the best Um, ska album. That's not a ska (laughs) album. He did mention that it's ska adjacent, which I would (laughs) agree with because this is definitely not fully in the lane. But yeah, probably the only album. That has Scott on it that Matt gave a thumbs up. I thought to there was door. another one that I was a little bit, I was like maybe lukewarm on. You I don't were, know if it was like the, was it the special on the specials Buzz album, Co- yeah. I think. Yeah. Buzzcocks, maybe. I don't know. Well, Buzzcocks, Buzzcocks no, they're not. They're punk. Yeah, I mean, so. it might have been the specials. Maybe like the that. Jam. I was kind of like, that wasn't it. That wasn't You kind of like the English beat a little bit too, if I remember. Or maybe correctly. it was that. Shoot. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't write yeah. down all my notes like you do, John. I, I can't. I just have to go on memory, which sucks these days. That's why you got to write it. Down. I got a, I got a whole thing that says CTS album database just sitting there for you guys I know. to archive your stuff. But we'll get you there eventually. So, well, you know what else we'll get to is next week's uh, set of albums and next week's show. Uh, Matt, would you like to run down? It's going to be a regular episode next week, so three albums. What are we covering? Um, we are covering My Bloody Valentine with their album Loveless. Some noise. Some noise rock. Noise rock. Yes. Uh, that's um, not the album that I see. Are we looking oh, at the same thing? No, I'm not yeah, looking. I, I think was going is it, isn't I'm... anything is, is first, it, right? Yeah, isn't anything is. Oh, isn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> Josh, you know what? You should read it because I was just, I don't have it in front of me. I thought that's what it was, but hey, yes. we're an amateur <laughs> podcast. <laughs> John's covering My Bloody Valentine isn't anything. Matt's covering NWA straight out of Compton. And Who better I am... to cover it? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> And then so. I'm covering Lucinda Williams, self-titled Lucinda Williams. That's right. All from That's 1988. Right. Okay. There we go. That's three very different. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, I'm only super familiar with, well, I should, yeah, two of the three I'm familiar with. And one I'm not super familiar with at all outside of name. So I'm, I'm going to be very interested to hear that album. So um, I am only familiar so. with one of those records. The album that you're covering that's correct <laughs> it's, i'm actually yes, i'm actually same. fairly pretty familiar with straight out of compton so mm-hmm. and matt uh, josh what's your pre-existing just base? uh just straight out of compton yep okay so just nwa okay yeah okay well we will see what we think but for now signing off for this evening of april 6 2023 this is john for josh and matt thanks so much for listening we'll see you soon Combing the Stacks can be found on 13 different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CombingThe and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.